Purple, get ready to roll indeed. Welcome back. It is College and Kimball. We continue our trek through the Snyder 2.0 era. Hard to believe it, boys, but we've only got two more seasons left of 2.0. It's crazy to think about. We're almost, but on the good note, that does mean we are almost to the end of summer, which means that we are that much closer to the start of the 2021 season. Very much looking forward uh, to talking about the upcoming year for the Cats. But until then, we'll take a little trip back through time as we have been here each of the past several weeks. I am your host, Jeff Burkhardt, joined as always by Justin Nutter, Alex Speth, and Clint Wilson. Go follow us on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball. And as per usual, you'll find all of our individual Twitter handles linked out on that account page. Appreciate everybody who has been listening to us. Uh, again, we're seeing those download numbers going up. So like I said, guys, we appreciate all the listens here. Hope that we have been providing you with, again, some some relief, a reprieve from all of the constant bombardment of conference realignment and the uncertainty that surrounds the Big 12. I know that it's tough to think about future right now, so we, we hope that this has given everybody a nice respite there in that regard. So with that being said, let's get ready to talk about the 2017 season. And uh, before we uh, dive into that, we'll take a quick look back at 2016. Again, a big bounce back here for the Wildcats. 2016 was the Cats uh, coming off of a sub 500 year in 2015 in which they went six and seven first time under 500 since 2008, 2016, they bounce back and go eight and four in the regular season, finish six and three in league games that gets them third, excuse me, fourth in the conference standings and the Wildcats put a cherry on top in the postseason, picking up a bull win over SEC badass Texas A&M for, for always and forever SEC program Texas A&M have fun when Big Brother comes back in here in a couple of years boys I bet you'll enjoy that uh, but this has set the stage for it, what looks to be one of the more highly anticipated seasons of 2.0 and, and I'll, I'll pause here before we start talking about recruiting and whatnot but uh, prior to even seeing that recruiting class coming for 2017 um, Guys, I, I got to say, just with the talent I knew that we had returning, I, I was more excited for this team, I, I would have to say, than I was for the 2014 team. I, I don't know where each of you guys fell on this. Justin, I'll go ahead and start with you. Yeah, in hindsight, my uh, expectations for this year were embarrassingly high, um, especially knowing how quickly they would come crashing back to earth. Uh, you know, the fact that we had kind of gone on that tear to end the season before, you know, we felt pretty good about where we were at quarterback. I've said it a hundred times that like, I always feel a hundred times better when we know what the situation at quarterback is coming into the year, all that put together, plus all the talent we had coming back really on both sides of the ball. I mean, I was definitely thinking, you know, dark horse, big 12 championship candidate this year. Completely agree. I was right there with you. I had huge expectations for this team. Uh, Jesse Ertz, I thought was going to be the next, um, I've said it several times already, but I, I thought he was going to be the next Colin Klein, essentially. Uh, Alex Barnes was someone I was really, really high on. I still think he had a great career. I'm probably a little higher on him than a lot of other people are as far as just, uh, ranking running backs, guys like Byron Pringle, Reggie Walker, Will Gary, 
Duke Shelley, DJ Reed, Kendall Adams. I mean, I, I thought this was the the nucleus that was going to carry us to another Big 12 title. Yeah, not not a lot more I could add to that. But, yeah, expectations really high. You have Ertz coming back in his second year, which is huge under Snyder. So, yeah, I was, I was expecting a lot from this team. And, and we, we discussed it a lot in the 2016 episode. A lot of the production that we got out of that team came from the sophomore and junior class. You did have some big playmakers, which we'll touch on here momentarily, uh, that did depart. And a couple of guys that get picked up in the NFL draft. Uh, we'll hit on that, like I said, here in just a few moments. Uh, before we do dive into that, though, let's uh, let's take a look at the recruiting class uh, that was brought in in 2017. And uh, this is kind of it's kind of wild to see now. Uh, we saw a little bit of it in 2016, but now we're actually starting to see names of guys still with the program, Clint, and uh, a, a lot of familiar faces in here. Guys like Sammy Wheeler uh, in this class, Josh Rivas in this class, uh, a lot of guys who are, are developing and, and ideally we would like to see turn into pretty big contributors for this for this upcoming squad here in 2021. Yeah, like you said, several guys that were still grading out uh, this class uh, you know, we, we can't even tell how good it is yet. Guys like Jerron McPherson, I expect to have a huge year uh, in 2021. Same with uh, Sammy Wheeler. Got some offensive linemen, like you said. Uh, Sebastian Taylor still, I think, has room to grow. Uh, we've already seen what Wyatt Hubert and Drew Wiley uh, can do. Uh, Daquan Patton, Eli Walker, uh, they've already come and gone. Uh, Eric Gallion, we got as a transfer. And, um, you know, the downside of this class is that about half of them transferred out uh, pretty early on. Anthony Payne, uh, Danny Walker, Bernard Goodwater, Harrison Creed, Spencer Misko, um, you know, just a lot of guys who were not here for very long. And I think that's uh, a storyline we'll touch on later on in the pod is kind of the overall health of the program how we feel trajectory wise where where things are are heading we we know things are are on the surface seem pretty stable but there's still when you, if you start peeling back the layers there there are a lot of things that are starting to get concerning to to fans uh as i said we'll, we'll dive into that once we wrap up the regular season here now uh we did talk about the the guys and coming in this class uh there were a couple of pretty big departures uh, uh, in terms of Jordan Willis. Uh, again, your your Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year in 2016 led the conference in sacks, uh, an extremely pr- productive defensive end. He ends up getting taken in the third round of the 2017 draft, ends up going to the Bengals. And then also uh, Elijah Lee. This, this one was kind of a surprise to me because uh, – Yes, he had he had a very productive season in 2016. Uh, no beef at all with him uh, as far as that is concerned. He ends up uh, with solid numbers, leads the team in tackles, 110 stops uh, that year. Only has a, a one and a half sacks, five tackles for loss, a couple of picks. But um, I'll add, I'll start with you, Nutter. What did you think uh, of Lee departing? I felt like he was a guy who could have stood to to really benefit with another year. Uh, anchoring a defense that really needed a presence at linebacker. Were you feeling the same way? Yeah, and honestly, I'm probably pretty old school when it comes to the idea of a guy declaring early. Like, in my opinion, and I know I can totally respect that, you know, that's 
one more season of contact that you don't necessarily want to put your body through. But like, in my opinion, if you're not like a surefire first or second uh, day pick, you know, you're, you probably need to give a little more consideration to stay in. And obviously at a position that ended up being, you know, a position of need for us really would have loved to send him back for one more year. And, and you talk about like, we want to be a day, day two, day three, a day two guy. Maybe if you're declaring early, uh, Elijah Lee has to wait pretty late <laughs> for that call to come through seventh round selection, the 232nd pick overall, he ends up going to the Vikings. But again, this is, this is another area when we start evaluating the health of the program guys wanting to stay versus declaring early when weighing those options. We'll, we'll, as I said, we'll dive deeper into that narrative here as we get uh, towards the end of the regular season. So all that being said, though, expectations extremely high for this group heading into the 2017 regular season. Uh, I'll just say face up, just looking at our schedule, uh, you had a very favorable start to the season. uh, And I, I I'll start with you, Alex. I look at this. We have Central Arkansas, Charlotte, a couple of gimmies right off the bat. You got the road trip at Vanderbilt, which I don't think anybody was going to be sweating at all. Um, and then you open up a rare, a rarity. You open up Big 12 play at home. And then uh, that's the first three of your first four Big 12 games are at home. And then the s- schedule really does soften up on the back end where you ha- you've got road trips at Tech at Kansas. And then you close things out with West Virginia and Iowa State at home like the schedule makers for for all the 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 vitriol that they directed at the cats in 2016 starting them off on the road at west virginia then having to play oklahoma two weeks later on the road in norman and you had that tough opener with stanford everything that went against k-state as far as schedule goes in 16 alex they had a really favorable lie in 2017 yeah, I think that's part of the reason the expectations were so high is because we're looking at a pretty good record to uh, start the season. Going on the road, um, out of conference kind of sucks, but and it'd be the second year in a row we did it. But I don't think anyone was too worried about playing at Vanderbilt. If anything, that was a nice little trip for people to take with a pretty much expected easy win in that one. Obviously, that didn't turn out so well, but... Yeah, um, schedule is definitely looking good for us that year. No doubt about it. So with all that being said, the table is set. Um, Looking at a lot of your preseason publications, uh, a lot of the magazines, Athlon, Phil Steele, a lot of folks obviously very high on Oklahoma. This is Baker Mayfield senior year. Uh, Oklahoma stacked as they, they always are. Uh, no surprise there that they were the preseason pick to win the conference. And then at number two, it was a it was a nice little hodgepodge. You had a lot of people high on TCU. Tom Herman was coming in at Texas. Uh, and again, K-State was kind of looked at it in that dark horse role. But I think everybody looked at the amount of returning production you had, not just on your offensive line, looking up and down on the defense and the quarterback, like the, this team certainly had all of the, the the requisite tools that it need that a Bill Snyder team typically needs to make a deep run and to to be in that conversation for a Big 12 championship. So, all that being said, again, expectations sky high for this group, and we open things up 
at home against Central Arkansas, a toasty Saturday night game in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, no sweat in this one against a one double A squad. Uh, defense gives up some yards. That that's a little frustrating, uh, but again. The, the one of the big bugaboos for this squad was, as I uh, alluded to a little bit earlier, we're having to replace uh, Elijah Lee, not only Elijah Lee, but also Mike Moore at linebacker. Uh, we become very familiar with a couple of names that a lot of fans uh, directed a lot of venom at uh, in uh, Trent Tanking and Jade Kirby, those two having to step in at linebacker. Uh, and and Central Arkansas had some guys who could make some plays, but it, it was still one of those games where you were a little little disheartened by the fact that K-State got hit up for as many yards as they did. But the, the offense, though, Jesse Ertz and company just explode in this contest. Uh, they go off 55 points. Jesse Ertz has three, over 300 yards, 330 yards to be exact, on just 16 attempts. So the Wildcats are just torching Central Arkansas over the top. And, and I think that, to me, was one of the more encouraging signs feeling like, okay, we we're we're opening things up and, and we've got some questions at the wide receiver position. We know we've got Byron Pringle, Clint, I know we've talked about it, not necessarily a known commodity, but he's certainly going to be looked at as wide receiver one, but we also do see some other guys step up in this game, like Isaiah Harris. Yeah. Isaiah Harris is kind of in that mold of uh, players who have been really successful at K state kind of undersized, but extremely fast. Uh, that was also the first glimpse of uh, Dalton Schoen, a for- former walk-on who uh, could show what he was capable of in, um, in the downfield passing. Uh, we, we had a guy named Carlos Strickland who uh, wouldn't go on to really uh, produce much for the K-State, but he was somebody that a lot of people were really excited for, especially after we lost Corey Sutton. Yeah, lots of guys making contributions on this day. Byron Pringle uh, has 121 yards and a touch. Isaiah Harris has 118 yards and a touch. Isaiah Zuber has a touchdown. Dalton Schoen has a 70-yard touchdown reception. So, again, everybody getting in on the action in the passing game. Jesse Ertz, uh, like I said, he had 333 yards, four touchdowns, no INTs. K-State racks up 519 yards of total offense, does whatever they want to today. Lots of fireworks in this one. Uh, the one thing I remember, uh, Nutter, and I don't, I don't know where you were taking this one in, but I remember uh, the big hubbub about this game was uh, the broadcast, uh, it was, uh, you could stream it through the ESPN app, which is what I was doing. I was in uh, Hayes America with my, with my wife and I was trying to watch this game actually at the, uh, the golden queue and I was struggling, uh, the Wi-Fi, the uh, Eagle Wi-Fi that's out there was not doing me any favors. I, I wasn't too broken up about it. Just looking, you know, checking the phone periodically and I'm seeing that we're just scoring. It seems like we're scoring, you know, every 10 to 15 minutes, but, uh, Nutter, do you have any memories from this particular game? So I was actually taking this one in from the south end zone, so the broadcast hey. meant precisely nothing to me. Sorry about that. No, not a better spot to watch a game, I'll tell you. <laughs> I was um, trying to yeah. watch it on my phone, so. Oh, you were right. I was struggle bus with me, Alex. <laughs> I was in Colorado Springs on vacation trying to watch it. I thought, I don't know, I thought it was on Facebook or K-State, whatever, but uh, I think I saw the opening kickoff, and that might have been about it, so. 
And then DJ Reed ripped off a long return and got tackled, like, at, if I remember right, got tackled inside the five. Uh, so we had to wait a couple plays before we got that first touchdown. Uh, but again, like like we said, there there's not much else you really need to, to say about this. Everybody's, you know, getting in on the action in the passing game and the running game. Pretty quiet day, actually, when you look at running backs, but a nice distribution of carries Alex Barnes has a touchdown run only carries the ball nine times though uh Jesse Ertz only seven carries for him four for Dalvin Warmax and uh another name that I know a lot of us were very very excited about was was Mike McCoy and we'll talk about him here momentarily as we dive into the Charlotte game but K-State big winners again 50 55 to 19 in the home opener. So your preseason 20th ranked Kansas State Wildcats move to 1-0 on the young year. That takes us in week two matchup against Charlotte. Uh, and again, this is another contest where K-State uh, vastly outclass uh, the 49ers. This is a team that's just recently moved up to uh, Division One, And I, I remember, like, I, I watched this was the, the first game I got to see. I, as I mentioned, I was not at the home opener, but I, I remember watching the the opening drive and just going to like literally six yard run, eight yard run, seven yard run, like just literally gashing them every single time for these little chunks of yards. And then we just and uh, demo ultimately ends up capping that drive. And I've never really felt bad when K-State wins in blowouts, but this I don't know why for whatever reason I felt bad for Charlotte <laughs> in this contest because they they were just very clear this again is a program that's just coming up to D1 they're just there to get the gate money to you know be the body bag game and get get the hell out of there they got worked over pretty bad in this game but uh, K-State big winners in this one uh, and, and again not much to say it's 55 to 7 K-State does whatever it wants to do uh, anybody have any memories of this contest before we move on to game three only thing that I remember is, uh, well, there are two things I remember. One of them, very random. Kendall Adams had two defensive touchdowns in this one. And on one of them, there was an assistant coach for Charlotte that, like, squirted his water bottle at him from the sideline. It was one of those, like, I caught it in real time and had to be like, what the hell did I just see and rewind it? Um, but the only other thing I remember is Topeka High Product, Mike McCoy, absolutely ruining some safety's life at the goal line in a garbage time touchdown. And I was already high on McCoy. And I think at that point it was like, I was my, my ex- expectations for him were astronomical after that. By far the best truck stick in K-State history. And there's <laughs> been quite a few times where, you know, a bigger back will kind of run someone over and then they'll get their ankles kind of pulled down. But for him to just completely flatten him and just leave him in his dust was incredible. I've been trying to find any other comparable run, um, Joe Hall has a couple times where he runs people over, but it's kind of similar thing where he just kind of maybe gets a couple more yards and goes down. Daniel Thomas ran through a million arm tackles, but I can't think of one time where he just completely trucked someone like that. Same with Josh Goey. Man, just what could have been with him. Yeah, that's that's so wild to think about for for the type of back that Daniel Thomas was literally just three yards in a cloud of dust. Like, you would think at some point that he would have just crushed some, you know, corner, some safety trying to come up and hit him and run support. You, you, I, I don't really recall anything, but yes, this like, again, 
I, I watched the poor safety try to break down and get ready to tackle him, and McCoy just like flattens this kid. <laughs> it was just, uh, it was the funniest damn thing I'd ever seen. Uh, that was the the K State's final touchdown of the day, a 15-yard run into the south end zone, and the Wildcats, like I said, no sweat in this contest. They they outgain uh, the the 49ers 493 to 168, plus three on turnovers, 28 first downs to 10. They run for over 300. I mean. Uh, Nobody's sweating anything in this one. And again, an, another encouraging sign. We're seeing some a nice distribution of carries. We see Mike McCoy getting some touches. Uh, Winston Demo, haven't talked about him much, but he gets a couple of touches as always. Alex Barnes uh, gets just under 100 yards on the day. Jesse Ertz carries it a few more times than he did in the opener, but it's nice to see that again this this team is showing that we we don't have to rely or at least early on we don't have to just totally lean on quarterback run and and I de- in, in, in games like these you shouldn't have to worry about running your quarterbacks into the ground so thankfully K-State takes care of business in these first two contests the way that they should big winners drop double nickels in both games so we're 2 and 0 on to game number 3 in Nashville, Tennessee, against the Vanderbilt Commodores, we we see the big overhead shot, and we see you know twenty five. It looks like twenty twenty five thousand K State fans just packing, uh, once like just owning one side of the stadium. It looks like a great setting, um, and I, I don't think the the Wildcats were only a five point favorite in this game. I don't think anybody in the right mind ever thought that K-State was going to lose this game. My, my, my thought was, okay, Vanderbilt's, they're coming off of a bowl season. Derek Mason, you know, he's, he's in his fourth year as head coach. You know, you might get a, a decent shot from them, but I ultimately, I, I said, you know, just, just get out of there. 24, 14, call it good. Let's, let's get, get the hell out with the win. We're three and oh, we're in the top 15. That's all we need. Um, but that uh, is not what ends up happening here. And, Guys, I, I, I guess, Alex, I'll start with you on this. There's so much that happens in this game, but I think the biggest point of frustration is just with the offense. The, so many, so many, just a comedy of errors. The, the way that they, they executed in this game, the play calling, everything just horrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've kind of blocked a lot of this game out of my memory, but all I remember is dropped passes, interceptions thrown right to the defense, uh, just, you know, play calling where we're just trying to assert our will with the the quarterback run game with a quarterback that, you know, quite frankly, even at this point in the year, doesn't look super spry running the ball. So um, one big play was that fumble that we – took back for a touchdown, I believe, to make it 14-7. to And then the fastest review ever where they overturned it, which I still haven't, I still vehemently disagree with that call. To me, that was a fumble. It was, an, it was a touchdown. Huge momentum shift for us that turned into a huge momentum shift for them. But obviously that doesn't give, the, uh, give a pass to the offense for pretty much doing a whole bunch of nothing that game. Yeah, for me, this is the single most embarrassing loss in the 2.0 era. I mean, we... What I was looking for. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we lost to Louisiana early on. We've had some other bad losses. But, I mean, Vanderbilt's a team you can get up for. I mean, they're they're even if they're not 
highly thought of in the SEC. They're an SEC team. You're going on the road. I mean, you should be up for this game, and it shouldn't be a problem to come away with a W. And just the offense was just so stagnant. I mean, the the rushing attack wasn't bad, but when it's that predictable, you know, the passing offense isn't working, and you're just running Ertz over and over and over again. Any key moments, I mean, they're going to be able to to stiffen up and and um, stop you, and that's what ended up happening. And I, I completely agree with what you said about uh, Adams' knee, or not Adams, but the the fumble that Adams recovered at the quarterback's knee. Um, it's it's possible that it was down. I don't think it was, but definitely you cannot overturn it with the video that was available. So embarrassing, embarrassing for us, embarrassing for the referees, just overall embarrassing. You know, we we talked, you know, at length. Uh, several people already have about how how poor of an offensive showing this was. I do have. I did not have the fortune, misfortune, whatever you want to call it, to go into this one in person. But a buddy of mine did, and he mentioned to me that he was sitting next to a couple of Vanderbilt fans. And for as bad as our receivers were that day, I can remember four or five drops right off the top of my head. Um, he said these Vanderbilt fans looked at him at one point and said, are, your tight ends are just running free every pass play. Why do you never throw them the ball? And he was like, and I had no idea to answer that question. So, I mean, it's just one of those. I mean, you know, we've heard in the years following that, like, Something about the playbook not making it to the stadium or something like that. I know you guys wanted to get into that a little more, but like it's definitely kind of a light bulb moment in hindsight where it's like, yeah, that would make sense with as out of rhythm and out of sync as we looked that entire game. But I definitely do want to get into this uh, this notion that the playbook or the game plan somehow did not make it to the stadium that night. I just don't understand how that is one possible and two forgivable as a Division One college football coach. No. It's not. Uh, and, and you, you talked about that the tight ends running free. And we, we touched a little bit on this before we started recording how conceptually, when, when we talk about the Bill Snyder offenses, the passing tree, how things, you know, at least from from a fan perspective, what I see, we very seldom, with the exception of when we had Jake and Tyler, quarterbacks never really looked intermediate middle of the field if we were going in the middle of the field that was a deep shot in which you had one-on-one coverage and and your man was beat and you knew that worst case scenario that was going to be an incompletion like i i don't know if the staff that that was the the coaching philosophy was to avoid any risk of you know defensive linemen getting hands up deflections turnovers i I, because i know bad things happen obviously when passes get tipped in the middle of the field and you know you get linebackers and safeties picking them off and taking them back but i i this to me just underscored i i don't begrudge the effort at all uh from from the players this is one thousand percent coaching like defensively you did more than enough obviously you 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 limit vanderbilt and, and to 270 yards on 55 plays like you 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 do more than enough uh, defensively to win this game and i i and in hearing and uh, full disclosure i had not even heard the rumor about the playbook being forgotten until here recently uh and and alex i think you were the one who brought that up to me do you have any insight on that like when did that original that story originate to my knowledge, I think it's a story that's kind of floated around, but it didn't really gain a lot of traction. 
and it just kind of got rehashed on uh, K-State Online, I think, on a message board. But I think it's one of those things, like, a few people kind of had heard about it and kind of assumed most people knew about it, but everyone's just like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And it was, so it kind of turned into a big story here in the last several months, and I hadn't heard of it either, so... Um, and I still don't really understand because the initial story that was kind of brought up was very vague anyways. So I, I still don't really understand what happened or why it would have had as much of a, a of an effect that apparently did. So it might have been Derek that mentioned it, to be honest. Something about talking about the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Ineptitude of some of the previous staff. <laughs> I think that's where it came up. It was kind of like and, a throwaway uh, comment in another topic of conversation that it was like, wait a minute, what did you just say? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll never remember all the details. I mean, obviously, I'll never have all the details, but it was definitely one of those it was kind of alluded to and then almost like buried again immediately. But that's definitely something I latched onto at the time. Yep. And Alex, I think the the word you used earlier too when we were talking about this game, uh, unimaginative. And again, if you, <laughs> whatever happened with the play, you know, regardless of what happened with the playbook and the offensive game plan, this was still a a, a laughably bad approach to this game. Uh, just uh, this 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 is when K State really starts like leaning in hard to QB smash left, QB smash right, QB smash up right. the middle. Like Jesse Ertz has 24 carries, 126 yards, which again that's fine. You know, you average five yards a pop, but you you can't go you can't give the ball to Alex Barnes and Silman only eleven times. And additionally, in this one, you talk, Nutter, you talked about it. I, I look at the stat line. Ertz has 28 attempts for only 76 yards. That's, two, you know, less than three yards an attempt. Tons of drops. And, and again, this to me, like, it underscored so many deficiencies and shortcomings where I, I don't think, again, we, you know, the, the squad's all fat and happy after thumping a bad, you know, a, a bad FCS team and, and a, a brand new FBS team that's in a G5 league. But at the end of the day, you, you should have been able to conjure up a little bit more creativity. You should have been able to come up with some more creative schemes and adjust to whatever Vanderbilt was thrown at you. But it, it just never happens in this game. And uh, I'll, I'll read the drive charge because this is just it, it's it's com it's comical again. Uh, first uh, opening drive, three plays, punt. Uh, then we get touchdown on second drive. Then punt, 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 end of half. Punt, miss field goal, pick, pick, punt, downs. You, you can't pull that shit against Vanderbilt, man. Like the, the, And this isn't even a very good Vanderbilt squad. Yes, they're coming off of a bowl game. They're, they're not totally inept. Like This is not KU-level ineptitude, but... You, you cannot do this. You can't do this. Um, and, and honestly, at, at the end of the day, I I, I still remember at, at the very end, and I talked about it, you know, again, offensive philosophy, not wanting to look intermediate middle of the field. That play, I've seen that screen cap, and it hurts my soul when Isaiah Harris is just running a drag over the middle of the field. Nobody home. 
at all on fourth down. It would have been a walk-in, you know, if if not a walk-in touchdown, maybe he gets dropped at the one of the two, but it, it would have been a drive extending completion that would have set K-State up. Worst case scenario, first and goal with an opportunity to tie. But unfortunately, it doesn't materialize. Um, now, I'll, I'll take a step back here. This this game ends in a, an embarrassing 14-7 to loss. Uh, I'll, I'll say this was the game that broke me as a fan, in case you can't really tell already. Like, I, I, I had the worst meltdown I have ever had as a fan because I, I was... I had no thought of us losing this game. I thought we might squeak by again in, in something. Maybe we sweat this out and win this by, you know, worst case scenarios, you know, three to seven points to one score game. I never once thought that this was even on the table. How did you guys react to the loss? Yeah, I mean, I already told you how embarrassing I thought it was. I mean, I, I would say it's the worst loss since uh, Marshall in 03. Obviously, the 2012 loss to Baylor, or yeah, to Baylor was. The more devastating loss, but just as far as embarrassing, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say it broke me any worse than I was already broken as a K-State fan. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, when you're when you're hoping for a Big 12 title and you lose to Vanderbilt, then, you know, you just all your hopes just kind of are dashed right there, even though it doesn't actually affect your um, conference record at all. You just don't feel like you can come back from that. As weird as this sounds, I probably should have been more mad in the moment than I was. Like, it's one of those that, like, the further detached from it I get, like, the more I realized how inexcusable of a loss that really was. I was obviously pissed that night, but probably not near on the level I should have been. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Justin. Like, I was not happy, but at the same time, it was just... It wasn't out of the blue. You know, we have been kind of conditioned to just laying eggs in these big games over the last few years. So it wasn't necessarily a surprise. Like, it was embarrassing, and we had no business losing this game. But at the end of it, you're just like, am I surprised that we just went out there and laid a dud? Not really, because we'd have pretty much one or two of those games every year for the last several years. So it was just kind of a trend. And I think I'd go back to the just the, those stats you were listing off. 24 carries for our quarterback, who, yes, we need to use as a running weapon, but a guy that has bum knees. And then we got good running backs, Alex Barnes, Justin Silman, And he didn't get any carries, but we still have, you know, Dalvin Warmack in there as well. And eight carries for Alex Barnes, three for Silman. 10 of 28 passing, just whatever they thought they were doing on offense just was not working one bit. And I guess maybe it was me giving like, I, I felt like we had gotten past this, this bullshit of not uh, schematically and, and being, and, and not, laying eggs in this this type of a setting like th- this was a game case they had no business losing in it and like I, i've mentioned ad nauseum here i never for once for one second thought that th- this group that this particular group would lose this game but sadly that that is what ultimately ends up happening over twenty thousand fans roll out of nashville pissed off i remember uh the, the one other kind of 
the icing on the cake and all this was I remember uh, I had, uh, it was over at my parents' house and I'd snuck out after halftime uh, to go to Quick Trip. And I was uh, I was anticipating, you know, listening uh, to the radio at halftime. And we had just this was just after 810 had dropped the K-State Sports Network and 610 had picked up the rights and 610 wasn't even airing the game. They were airing like syndicated fantasy sports bullshit radio uh, and in the middle of a time where you should absolutely be airing, you know, the product that you're paying for. But I, I remember that was just like, okay, this is, this is just not our night, you know, <laughs> not my night, not K-State's nights, but Wildcats drop all the two and one, uh, obviously fall out of the top 25, no surprise losing to Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt uh, very, 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 very stupidly says, I remember seeing, we want Bama signs after this uh, from Vanderbilt. Uh, the, the tide roll into Nashville a week later and drop a 59, nothing bomb on the Commodore. So be careful what you wish for Vandy. That's all I got to say about that. But uh, K-State uh, opens up Big 12 play next, and they uh, get a home contest. Again, a, a rarity. We, we very seldom talk about K-State getting an opportunity to host a Big 12 opener, but that is what happens here. And we talked about, again, the for, fortuitous setup of the Big 12 slate. The Wildcats welcome in the 0-4 uh, Baylor Bears. So this is this is Matt Rule's first year having taken over for Jim Grobe after he was uh, tagged as interim in the 2016 season, Baylor's just gutting, you know, tearing it down to the studs. So Baylor's starting over. This was a game K-State was was big favorites in. They took care of business. Um, and, and I guess at the end of the day, good to see the Wildcats really shake off that that disappointing performance against Vanderbilt and get right in this one. I, I, I have very little memory of this game. I, I just I remember K-State builds a big lead. They got up 20 to three going into halftime and then. Baylor kind of punches back, and I, I, I never really sweat it uh, that much because K-State took a uh, two-touchdown lead early in the fourth quarter, and I, I didn't really think that this game was ever really going to get into danger territory in that regard. But uh, do any of you have any memories of this contest? I just remember being happy that the, they, the guys got right. That was my only real memory of this one. Yeah, honestly, I'd have very little memory of this one other than I remember getting up big, looking like we were going to coast. Then then they made it a little more interesting than it probably should have been late. But no, other than that, really not much sticks out about this one. I was going to say, even when Baylor is absolutely terrible this year, it's nice to know that we can still give up a 74-yard run for a touchdown and a 70-yard pass for a touchdown. So, yay. Uh, the most memorable play to me that I always think of, uh, Baylor ran a fake punt and of course we didn't stop it. We never stopped fake punts. Uh, it went for quite a ways and then AJ Parker came out of nowhere and just destroyed that little punter. Oh, Clint, uh, your, your memory of plays is, is just remarkable. I, I, that you said that and I was just like, oh, I remember Parker coming up and just laying the wood on that. <laughs> and that, and he didn't get a targeting yeah. either. Like no. that should have absolutely been a targeting. <laughs> I do. Oh, I do remember because nice, it was a punter. Yeah. I remember that nice touchdown pass in the, uh, on the right side in the end zone to Zuber on a free play. Baylor came offside. Mm-hmm. That was nice right into the corner of the end zone. Yeah, and then Kendall Adams had a really nice interception to ice it at the end. It was 
uh, he had to be pretty yes. aggressive and step in front of the receiver to get it. So the Wildcats, 33 to 20 winners, as we said, a uh, little, little nerve wracking late in the fourth quarter, but K-State never really in, in any true threat of, of dropping this one. Uh, Kendall Adams gets a late INT to, to seal things up for the Wildcats. Uh, again, a nice bounce back performance uh, from K-State in this contest. Not a particularly polished effort on the offensive side. Jesse Ertz doesn't really have a great day. Only goes 7 of 17. Has a t- does have a touchdown pass to Zuber. Uh, but the Wildcats rack up 225 yards on the ground. Uh, go for over 5 yards a carry. Uh, and they they keep Baylor down. This is the second straight win over the Baylor Bears. But uh, context is everything. So this is a team, like I said, Baylor is not... Uh, is very much in rebuilding mode. But K-State opens up Big 12 play with a nice win. So this takes us to the second game of the conference slate, uh, road tilt at the University of Texas. And for for all of the the negative feelings and whatnot that I had in, in the following the Vanderbilt game, a lot of that began to wash away in this uh, this contest, uh, especially early on. K-State had a lot of uh, big moments in this game. DJ Reed has a really sick interception in this contest. Uh, Clint, you talked about it. Dalton Schoen, we had uh, Byron Pringle's been pretty quiet this early on in the season, but Schoen actually stepped up really big in this game for K-State. Yeah, whenever I uh, watch highlights to prepare for this podcast, I write myself little notes. And I have written here, wait, Shone is fast? (laughs) He's absolutely running away from Texas defensive backs on that long touchdown run. He'd end up with uh, five receptions for 128 yards and two touchdowns. This was definitely his coming out party. So K-State jumps out early on uh, UT uh, and gets up 17-7 to uh, late in the second quarter. Now this, uh, again, God, I feel like he's been there forever. Sam Ellinger, this is actually his freshman year, first time starting uh, for Texas. And he is, again, it, it's the gutty Sam Ellinger we, we just always came to know. And he helps uh, rally the horns in this one. And, and he and Jesse Ertz are kind of having this this back and forth duel. Now, um, Ertz in this contest, K-State kind of stagnates after getting uh, those 17 points. Texas does a great job uh, of adjusting. And then the the Wildcats offense kind of goes into a shell. So we see uh, following that touchdown that made it 17 to seven, punt, end of half, punt, punt. And then the Wildcats do come back and get a touchdown uh, following a short field. But uh, a big caveat here, Jesse Ertz, who we, we, were, we were all so high on going into the season, uh, he ends up going out with an injury. And then Alex Delton, who we've not really heard much from, uh, even, even in those big blowouts early on in the, in, the, in the non-con portion of the slate, he is called upon to step in for Jesse Ertz. And he does so very admirably. And he comes in and finishes off uh, that drive, Jesse Ertz ends up starting that touchdown drive to help pull the Wildcats level, uh, but ends up going out following a three-yard run. K-State takes a timeout, then Delton comes in. He rips off a 16-yard run and then ultimately ends up punching in on a second and goal from the two to help pull the Wildcats level at 24-24. Um, I don't remember a lot about the play, uh, but I, I was a little concerned uh, 
just knowing Ertz's history and, and Clint, I, I think you were the one who told me, was it two knees in high school? Uh, I only knew about the one. I think someone else said that it was a second one also. So what I had heard, and you know, it's all second, third hand info is that he had messed up his knee in high school and that the surgery was not executed properly. So like basically it needed to be redone when he got here. And couple that not with including the 2015 injury, correct? That's pretty. I was good, about to say, couple that with the the season-ending 2015 injury. Um, it, it, it just sucked because again, he he had such a, a huge breakout season, and, and ultimately this does end up uh, sidelining him for the remainder of the 2017 campaign. And this was a guy who was just shy of the, of the 2000, 1000 yard, uh, 2000 yards passing 1000 yard rushing mark, uh, his junior season, such high expectations placed on his shoulders. And we, Nutter, you've talked about it a bunch too. When we, we, uh, a returning veteran quarterback under a Snyder offense, you, you can usually bank on big things, but unfortunately he ends up going out in this game. He weirdly comes back in, later on towards the end of regulation, which I, which was weird because Delton had come in, finished off that drive, quarterback the next drive, and then on what would be K-State's uh, second-to-last possession in regulation, Ertz comes back in. So we're all kind of questioning what's happening because I thought uh, Ertz was toast after that. It was a non-contact injury on the knee that took him out, so I was like, okay, that's probably something to do, again, with a ligament where you, you are likely going to be toast for the year but uh, that was just kind of a weird sequence towards the end of the game now what ends up happening here is we go through the the final couple possessions in the fourth quarter so k-state uh gets a a field goal following that uh so following the touchdown drive uh uh and the run by delton they force a three now they get the ball back k-state goes on a very lengthy drive where again this is pretty much just the delton show at this point delton run delton run delton run delton run delton run and all the way down the field now they get down all the way to the texas uh 14 yard line but on a third down four delton gets dumped for a two yard loss so we have to settle for a field goal uh for mccrane he comes through and knocks in a 33 yarder texas goes on a lengthy drive themselves 73 yards eats up almost six minutes, over six minutes of that fourth quarter. They missed the field goal. So now K-State is in this position, again, here five minutes, have a chance to really just kill this clock and get the hell out of Austin with a win. Uh, but the, this is, uh, again, when, where I think that lack of experience kills K-State, and, and they unfortunately go three and out. They only take a minute 42 off the clock. They give the ball right back to Texas, and then Texas is able to go down. And, and again, like I said, I, I cannot – Sam Ellinger, the love that was heaped onto him for any menial thing that he did was just disgusting. I, I could not stomach that. And he's just gritting out this this drive, this long, painstaking drive of 52 yards and 12 plays to get Texas that field goal. So the Longhorns pull level. And then, like I said, this is the weird stretch where after – Alex Delton is quarterback K-State for the last several possessions. Jesse Ertz comes back into the game and then ultimately ends up throwing a pick and gives the ball, uh, gives Texas an opportunity with the ball on the, uh, their own 33 yard line. 
Now the Longhorns, it looks like, have K-State dead to right. They drive down, right down the field with 41 seconds left and get into position to uh, kick a game-winning field goal that fortunately misses. So K-State has second life here, and they are able to push this one into overtime. Um, I, I'll just pause here for a moment to ask you guys, uh, what what was everybody feeling about the quarterback shuffling? I, I was starting to question, like, what what's what the hell is happening with, with Ertz and Delton? Why, you know, after all these possessions, why is he coming back into the game? When it looked like, again, I, I thought like a non-contact knee injury, I'm always, I never have good thoughts on because those are usually horrible. So I, I didn't know where, where was everybody else feeling as we headed into overtime. I assume they just needed to move the ball quick to get into field goal range and they just wanted Delton to go, or uh, sorry, Ertz to complete some passes real quick. But, you know, at the same time, I wasn't really, you know, you don't know what the injury is at the at that time and if he says he can go throw the ball then uh, you know as 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 good as Delton was playing in this game running the ball he was only what two for five in the passing game so trying to Abs- trying to move the ball quick yeah I absolutely agree with Alex I think it was just a matter of personnel given the situation the fact that Delton had not really delivered on the previous drive with a chance to kind of put it on ice I think they were willing to try something else and I'm assuming Erds being a gamer was probably able to talk his way back onto the field. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it was Ertz or if it was a coach telling him to get back in because you know <laughs> the rest of the season, uh, Bill maintained that Ertz might be back any week. I mean, there was a lot of that Bill Snyder gamesmanship, or you know maybe gamesmanship, maybe something else that um that was uh, him just trying to keep the other team guessing. So I, I would like to think it was Ertz that wanted to go back in that interception. I mean, he, he launched it down the field. That wasn't just like a little dink pass that got picked off. You know, I've never had a major knee blowout, but I imagine planting all your weight on that foot to let the ball rip like that. It's probably not good for it. Um, yeah. Del- Delton looked good on the ground, but uh, I, I can't imagine the coaches trusted him too much through the air at that point. Uh, so, no, I, I did not feel good going into the end of the game there, into overtime. You're definitely limited in, in what you can call offensively, and I, I'll, I will say this. I, I felt like we were just kind of on borrowed time just because of what we would realistically be able to call in, in, in the overtime sessions, but uh, K-State does. Texas gets a touchdown on their first possession, and the Wildcats come through, and they pull level. Delton answers right back with a touchdown run. So K-State gets the return possession to start off overtime number two. And unfortunately, again, this is where we talk about things being limited. The Wildcats lose 11 yards. So McCrane's forced to kick a 53-yard field goal in that overtime session, which misses and then Texas is able to ultimately put this one away. There's a couple of questionable calls at the goal line, uh, but they're ultimately able to get a touchdown and steal this one. 40 to 34 is the final. Uh, just a, a tough way for the game to end where you, you really you jumped on this team early, but also in the same breath, I'll say the Longhorns were, were certainly the better team in terms of how they adjusted. They doubled up K-State on first downs, 32 to 16. They outgained K-State 546 to 394. So uh, they, they were certainly more 
dynamic offensively. And, and again, it, you, you had a great effort from Sam Ellinger throwing for 380 and running for 107. Uh, but the Wildcats, this is kind of, again, starting to become a theme in, in the 2-0 era. That's, and this is the part that's starting to get frustrating. You know, double-digit leads aren't safe anymore. And that's that that part really sucks when we start talking about this team. And and guys, I, I'll just kind of put it to you because this isn't the first time we'll talk about it. But what did you feel was the cause of this? Where is this a lack of a killer instinct? Is this coaching staff not know like is this the evolution of the game and, and coaches approaching things differently after getting up by two score two or more scores like what what do you feel is the underlying cause of why all these leads are just slipping away yeah we definitely seem to get away from what's working in a lot of cases like you know you can go back to <laughs> as if we didn't bitch about it enough already that Oklahoma State game the year before you know we get up two scores bang bang just running the ball at will and then just inexplicably stop running the ball. You know, it's, I think it's just, it's, it's that kind of trend I think is, you know, like you, you alluded to it, Jeff earlier in this game against Texas, we pick Elegant off literal first play of the game, jump out to a 10, nothing lead. I mean, we're cooking at that point. And then I don't know what you do. We get conservative, you know, it's, it, it's hard to say exactly, but it really does seem like Momentum has not been a thing for us for for years at this point, unfortunately. And yeah, just we seem to get away from what's working and just not being able to ride that wave. Yeah, I still maintain that if Ertz would have been healthy throughout the entire game, we would have won. But you know, I, I definitely know what you mean. Um, we just didn't have that killer instinct, and the the play calling uh, went hand in hand with that. I mean, um, I mean that that all just comes from coaching. That's why I put the blame on. Yeah, I think there's that stick to the plan of, you know, trying to shorten the game. Uh, but when, you know, actually stretching the field out and uh, making big plays is working, it seems like they would go away from that thinking, oh, we got to we got to run the ball or we got to do this to to shorten that game. And I think a part of it is just that, you know, that's their their blueprint to to win games. But I think over the last several years, that blueprint has kind of been very wavering uh, in a lot of those games where we could not hold on, shorten a game, keep a lead like that. So, you know, just the lack of adjustment to that is was frustrating. Uh, the lack of just going with what's working. I know in this game we couldn't really keep throwing the ball too much with Ertz out. Um, so it's a little bit of a personnel issue in this game i would say but uh at the same time it just falls into a larger trend of um just for lack of a better expression just playing not to lose rather than playing to win lot lots of things to consider uh, and uh, you guys all all hit on uh, i think all the points that a lot of people are starting to are really starting to resonate with fans and We'll move away from the UT game. So the Wildcats fall now to uh, three and two on the season, one and one in Big 12 play. Uh, Ertz is, uh, <laughs> Clinton, you talked about uh, gamesmanship is 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 pretty, maybe being a little generous in terms of what Snyder was saying about Ertz always, quote unquote, potentially coming back to play. Uh, I think a lot of people knew that his his senior year was 
going to be unfortunately over. And that was the last thing we would remember would be him throwing an INT against Texas in a close game like that, which again, uh, horribly unfortunate for a a kid who's had, who produced so much in in that, in his junior season and and had really high, uh, high aspirations for 2017. But the Wildcats have to look now to Alex Delton to take over at quarterback uh, for the TCU game as the Wildcats welcome the Horned Frogs into Manhattan. And this is uh, one of Gary Patterson's better squads. Uh, they they dipped the, the year prior and they've come back. They brought in Kenny Hill, transferred in from Texas A&M. Texas uh, TCU rather has has definitely leveled up. And this, this TCU squad ultimately ends up com- uh, competing against Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. This is a very good TCU team. But this game is just a fucking skunk. It, there's a rain. There's rain delay on rain delay. Offense uh, again. We we talked about you know for. Th- th- there's really. It, it's really just a, an extension of what we saw against Texas, where and, and you were able to have some of that. Artificial success against Texas just by virtue of not having, of UT not having any tape on Delton. And now you go into this game against TCU where you're asking Delton to actually go out there and execute something offensively beyond just running, you know, QB lead, QB counter, and and TCU just owns the day and just wrecks this team defensively. Um, Nutter, a- anything worth mentioning about this contest? I, I just remember every rain, all the rain delays. <laughs> Yeah, this was my 30th birthday, actually, and I uh, chose to spend it in what ended up being about a seven-hour debacle at the stadium that day. Um, If I remember right, the game kicked about three hours later than it was supposed to. They actually had done the coin toss and everything, and then it was like, as teams were lining up to kick off, boom, lightning. So, went into the locker rooms for about three hours, came out, like you said, kind of farted out three three quarters of play. K-State goes into the locker room at the beginning of the fourth quarter for another lightning delay, only down 20 to six. And I'm not trying to imply that it was a close game at that point, but like the score is very much still like it's up for grabs, you know, one good drive out of that rain delay and you're right back in this game. And I know I kind of harped on it off, you know, before we started recording, but we have the ball. We're not really driving. We're at about our own 30 and we come back out and I don't remember the exact sequence, but it's like run out of bounds for negative two yards, run up the middle and then just like a lazy throwaway incomplete pass. Like it was like we got a free halftime in a game that was still within reach and did absolutely nothing to adjust. I understand Delton's making his first start and our offense is pretty one dimensional, but it's like we didn't even try. Like, I mean, Alex, you used unimaginative talking about the Vanderbilt game. I think that was on full display here too. Just really disappointing to see us basically put up no fight and use like, like I said, what amounted to an extra halftime and just kind of let that go. Like we didn't even, we didn't even try to use it to our advantage. So we had nine combined attempts from running backs in this game. And uh, it was just between Silman and Barnes. Demo got one also, but uh you know, neither neither one of those guys are effective. And I know all of the 2016 pod, I'm just going, why? where's Alex Barnes? Why aren't we seeing more Alex Barnes? So I'm not trying to say I don't want Alex Barnes in there. But if that's not working, why not go with a guy like Warmack, who's more dynamic, who can maybe do some things in a smaller amount of space? The same thing happened against Vanderbilt. Warmack got zero carries. 
And I mean, I, I don't remember. For all I know, there he was injured this game, or they just decided with the wet conditions he wasn't going to be effective. But I, I just don't know why a guy like that who can do different things isn't getting any touches at all. And it's not like this is a patchwork group on the offensive line. You you've got a very solid and experienced front. You had Tyler Mitchell, Abdul Beecham, Dalton Reisner, Scott France. This this group had plenty of experience. And again, this is where I just question the philosophy wise. What? Why are we so hell bent on just? running our quarterbacks to death when we have a stable of very capable running backs who all bring something unique to the table. You have Alex Barnes, which is really the complete package. Maybe, you know, not the kind of guy that's going to run away from you, but guy with great vision can hit holes can and great ability in the open field. We have Dalvin Warmack who, when, when given the opportunity, like you said, Clint, we've seen flashes. He's got, He's got another gear. And then we have Justin Silman, again, who's always proven to be a very reliable back. And also at this point, we don't know about Mike McCoy, um, but we also got this monster freshman at a Topeka. So we've got all these options in the running game. And yet we're just sitting here. Why are, why are we running Delton 19 times? Why aren't we, you know, just try and distribute these carries more evenly, do exactly what we were doing in the non-con. And I, I understand it's different when we're talking about the level of competition being Charlotte and central Arkansas. That's one thing, but it, it's not like conceptually, you can't go out there and, and say, let's, you know, let's get Barnes 15 carries and just see what the hell happens. Why? But unfortunately that the staff, approaches this game like they do uh, and this is really kind of again the, the the season that really foreshadows what we'll we'll see for the remainder of, of 20 uh, this this game foreshadows the remainder of what's what we're going to see in 2017 and then very much what we see unfold in 2018 and so very quickly on this one and this game's 26 to 6 is the final uh, again it's it's just a skunk only 10 first downs for k-state they're two of 15 on third down Delton can't do anything in the passing game on this AS uh, 29 attempts, less than five yards in attempt. K-State only ends up running the ball for, for 70 yards. Defensively, the Wildcats, again, a pretty respectable showing. They they themselves limit TCU to under 100 yards rushing on 36 tries. So they're they're good in, take, in negating um, in Hicks and Kenny Hill in the run game. Um, so they, they, they did their job, but again, there's just no there's no compliment on the offensive side and that's really what does k-state in in this contest so the wildcats fall to one and two in big 12 play 26 to 6 again the final at bill snyder family stadium so the sixth ranked corn frogs move on again they would go on to have a a very fine season and finishing second in the big 12 so this sets uh k-state up with a home contest and God, why do we always do this? We always have Oklahoma marked as our homecoming game. I, I, I never for the life of me understood why we do this. But uh, Baker Mayfield coming into town uh, with Lincoln Riley as head coach. So I, I'm, I'm very much, I, I again, I, I talked about how the Vanderbilt game kind of broke me. Like I, I kind of phoned it in at this point. I, I felt like this. This is probably going to unfortunately end up being another year where we, we struggle now that Ertz is out of the fray. And even though we do have all these proven commodities in the running game, I, I just feel like the, the staff, the offensive staff is still 
trying to pull the same shit. Like we're, we're not trying to adjust. We're not trying to account for, you know, when the defense, when we're, when the defense zags, we're not trying to zig. We're just going to keep running. Like you said, Alex, whatever's scripted, we're just sticking to that. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And we're, we're not going to try and adjust. Um, the, this though ultimately ends up being a game uh, that, I think longstanding, it has some pretty significant implications really when we look at 2018, uh, because for as much as Delton struggled uh, against TCU, uh, he has a really big coming out party in this contest. Clint does it and and really does it in both through the air and on the ground. Yeah, this game was uh, pretty wild. The start that K-State got out to and the amount of memorable plays. I mean, it was 21 to 7 K State at one point. The second play of the game, Barnes rips off a 75 yard touchdown. Uh, my one big gripe was that after that 75 yard touchdown, he only gets five more carries the rest of the game. Um, I mean, Delton was doing a fine job running the ball, but why? In what world would you rather run your quarterback if your running back's doing a great job running the ball? Um, yeah, I mean, Delton had that amazing play where he somehow stayed in balance and kind of just floated into the end zone. I mean, he, he the guy was a good athlete. He he was a great runner when he had good blocking. Uh, he still holds the record for the fastest 40 time by a quarterback at K-State uh, during their testing. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun game until they came back. So here's another one where we get up, uh, get a big lead and can't really hold on to it and uh, kind of backtrack a little, including this game, but also the previous two games, something that I was kind of thinking of when we were talking about, you know, not doing what what's working or not being able to hold on to these leads. And something that just kind of hit me was, uh, like we talk about, again, in this game, quarterback gets 27 carries, and our running back who went for 75 on the second play of the game and a touchdown only gets five more and built, you know, it's always the, the numbers game, the scheme, we're going to out scheme them. We got that extra blocker when we run the quarterback, but just like not being able to hold on the lead and the play calling, that's all questionable. Sometimes, you know, it just kind of hit me when we were talking about the last three games is I think there's probably just a lack of trust in the, the, the talent of the team and the depth of the team to say, just hand it off to Alex Barnes behind a good offensive line and go, you know, go get yards and win a football game. It's, we can't trust that we have to out scheme and use that extra blocker and, you know, destroy our quarterbacks in the process. And, but anyways, this was a very fun game to watch. Uh, (laughs) Not a great ending, but. Another another big lead that we couldn't really hold on. Not big, but decent lead we couldn't hold on to. I mean, it's uh, two scores, uh, and and this is not a great Oklahoma deep team defensively. Uh, they they end up being like 68th nationally in, in scoring defense, and K State moves the ball early and this this you know yes you come out you hit the haymaker early with Barnes just right up the gut on the first possession uh but then they follow it up uh K-State has another solid drive and and again the this we really see the the last couple carries of the day for Alex Barnes on this drive he gets a 19 yard run and then it all of a sudden just turns into 
Delton, 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 Delton. And he gets uh, K-State down all the way to the Oklahoma 14 uh, after ripping off a 19-yard run. So the Wildcats knocking on the door in the red zone and looking to go back up 14-7. to seven. Uh, but a, a very critical fumble by Dominique Heath uh, ended up being recovered by OU Stephen Parker. So Oklahoma is able to thwart a drive, which ultimately ends up being pretty critical in, in how this game shakes out. But the Wildcats defense comes back and forces a three and out, and they ultimately do end up responding. The Wildcats do on their ensuing possession. They go 69 yards and get a touchdown run. They force a pick. And, and Clint, you talk about memorable plays. This, this is one I remember seeing and thinking to myself when they like on the jumbo trial, I was like, I'm pretty sure Goolsby got that. Um, Baker floats one up in the end zone and, and the pass kind of gets bobbled around receiver has it. Goolsby has it. And Goolsby is ultimately able to corral it. Uh, and Clint, I, I don't know if there are very many interceptions that rival this one in two Oh. Yeah. As far as just, wondering how he came away with it it was, it was kind of similar to that uh, Randall Evans one where they kind of just rolled over each other on the ground except instead of going to the ground the offensive player was going out of bounds and somehow Goolsby rips the ball away from him just before the offensive player goes out of the back of the end zone I remember the announcers were talking for a good 30 seconds before they even realized that Goolsby had the ball and uh you know, they had no clue what was going on. Uh, yeah, it was an incredible play by Goolsby. That stops an Oklahoma drive. K-State gets the ball out on the 20 after the touchback. And then it is, again, the Alex Delton show. Rips off a 26-yard run. Has a nice completion, a couple of nice completions to Isaiah Zuber. Then has a 12-yard run in the aforementioned 21-yard run dashing down the near sideline uh, on the, on the uh, excuse me, on the west side uh, into the end zone to give K-State a 21-7 lead. And then the Wildcats defense, again, this Oklahoma offense is a machine. I cannot overstate that enough, but K-State's defense has been doing the bend but don't break here. And that's that's really kind of what we've come this to know uh, of, of this unit. They, they were tops in the Big 12 in scoring defense actually this season prior. Uh, a couple of steps back this year, but they've been, again, being true to the, the identity of bend it but don't break. They let Oklahoma drive down the field. They go 56 yards, get it all the way down uh, to the Wildcats 19-yard line. But Trent Tanking comes up with a big stop on a fourth down and once the Wildcats turn Oklahoma away and hold it on to a 21 to seven lead. So K-State now has the ball uh, with a little bit less than five minutes. Now, this uh, this is a pretty seemingly innocent possession, but ultimately Delton ends up throwing a pick to Jordan Thomas, which uh, he takes that down to the K-State 10 yard line and the defense, again, you don't need to give Oklahoma extra chances. You certainly don't need to give them the ball on the own. They're on your on your 10-yard line. But K-State's defense actually comes up with a huge stop and forces a field goal attempt. So the Wildcats holding on to a 21-10 lead now. And then uh, a nice return on the opening uh, possession of the drive. Uh, excuse me, uh, rather a, a, short, a short kick by Oklahoma sets K-State up with good field position. So the Wildcats drive down and try a late field goal before the end of a half, but Crane misses a 59-yarder. But nevertheless, it's 21-10 to K-State at halftime. Uh, and 
again, this is one of those things where we're, we're just kind of saying like, well, okay, what's at this point, I, I'm starting to lose faith in terms of what is, is the staff going to come back? Are we going to stick with what's been working? Are we going to do something innovative and creative to, to, uh, to keep defenses guessing? That's kind of the mode and my, my mentality as we head into the second half in this game. Now, Unfortunately, Oklahoma kind of wakes up on both sides of the ball. The Sooners drive 80 yards in, in less than three minutes, get a touchdown. K-State three-place punt. Oklahoma gets the ball right back. They go down and get a field goal to draw to within one. So K-State is still clinging to a one-point lead, but the offense really goes into a shell in the second half. So the first three possessions of the this second half are punts for the Wildcats. And they do, uh, after Oklahoma takes a 14, excuse me, a 28 to 21 lead, uh, it, it's not looking obviously great for Kansas State at this point and just seeing the production you get out of your offense. But uh, K-State gets a, a very fortunate fumble recovery uh, here. And if I remember right, it was, uh, was it Brock Monty who ended up falling on it? Or am I think uh, I'm totally spacing on the name of Colby Moore. Colby Moore. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Colby Moore. <laughs> I'll have to fix that in post. Colby Moore ends up falling on a a, 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 um, a muffed fumble uh, as Oklahoma is trying to punt the ball away to K-State. So the Wildcats have a short field. They convert that, fortunately, into a touchdown. So we're, we're level now at 28 all. Oklahoma gets the ball back and K-State doesn't make them work too hard here. The, the, the Sooners go 74 yards in just over a minute and they take the lead right back 35 to 28. Now, this was the don't get my hopes up drive, but they do just that. Delton, who's been pretty quiet in the passing game today, hits Byron Pringle on the first possession, or excuse me, the first play of the drive for a 40-yarder to get uh, to get K-State on the Oklahoma side of the field. And then Alex Barnes, who again hasn't had a chance to touch the ball pretty much since this, uh, the first possession of the, uh, or excuse me, the second possession of the first quarter, he finally gets a couple of touches and not surprisingly rips off an 11-yard run. And then uh, Delton ultimately ends up getting K-State into the end zone. And, and Clint, I, this is, this would be a pretty low key play, but he's got a pretty tight window on that little out route that he throws to Zuber and he's able to get it in there right before the corner comes to potentially undercut that thing. So a nice touchdown pass to pull K state level at 35 to 35. And like I said, this, this was one of those, I'll ask you guys there there's that touchdown pass comes with 225 left. Uh, Oklahoma pretty much had their way with K-State in, in, in the second half. It's been touchdown, field goal, touchdown. Uh, there was one uh, pl- uh, possession that resulted in a fumble, uh, again, when Oklahoma had a bad snap over punter's head, but it's been all scoring possessions with the exception of that one. Would you guys have been inclined? I, I know it's always hindsight here, but I I was thinking in the moment, we should probably think about going for two because worst case scenario, what do you do? Then you chance it with an onside kick and you, you at least go down swinging. But I I thought trying for two in that instance might've been worth a shot. Yeah. You don't say this very often about a K-State offense, but I definitely was worried that we scored too fast. You know, (laughs) the fact that they, uh, that, that they had done pretty much whatever they wanted since halftime. So I definitely was worried about that. I can't say that, 
you know, at home, I'm never, I'm never really wanting to roll the dice on something like that. I definitely see where you're coming from, but that's not anything I would have thought in the moment. I was pretty yeah. convinced they were going to go down and score anyway, so I don't think it. <laughs> I was probably thinking it didn't matter. So, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with what both of them said. Uh, just going back to that Zuber touchdown, he took a shot. The ball got there yeah. right at the same time as the defender. You know, I I kind of forgot how good Zuber was at that. There was a few times this year where he he got decleated and hung onto the ball. Um, you know, I probably didn't appreciate him as much as I should have. No, and and honestly, like I said, Byron Pringle's been kind of a ghost, and and really, it's been the unsung guys like like Zuber, like shown who have shown up in the passing game uh, for K State in this early part of the uh, of the season. But uh, to to take it back to that final drive for the Sooners, um, the the Wildcats elect to kick it deep, and Oklahoma really starts off at not kind of surprising approach to this. They go run, run, run. Um, and the Wildcats are able to uh, force a third down and two. Um, and I I was hoping that we would have taken a, a timeout uh, to to at least make them think about it. But Oklahoma's going tempo. They go fast. And they ultimately, uh, on that third down and two, they give it to Rodney Anderson. He picks up three, gets the Sooners out to midfield. And then at that point, it was just kind of academic like Oklahoma had just done as we said whatever they wanted to in that second half on offense and I I certainly can't place the blame on Alex Delton in, in this game he he did more than enough uh, I think again the, the, there are, I have a lot more questions about how how are personnel being used why are we can why are we going away from Alex Barnes what why because I, I very vividly remember uh, media members asking Barnes after the game that like, did you, did you get hurt at, at some point? Why, why weren't you getting carries? And, and he said, I, I was fine. I, the coaches just wanted to, and I understand that Delton running that, that element of your offense was working, but when you've got a, 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 a true, a guy who ends up being first team all big 12 for you, in the backfield to complement that. Why not lean on that more? I think that was my, my biggest question. I came away and that, that was my biggest point of frustration. Not, not that the defense let, let down in this one. Cause this was a, a, again, a, a remarkably dynamic Oklahoma offense, just littered with first team guys, uh, you know, on the, you know, I could talk about Orlando Brown on the offensive line, Mark Andrews at tight end, um, just all all these weapons that they had. Rodney Anderson was second team All Big Twelve running back. Um, the, the, an embarrassment of Richard. So you knew you knew Oklahoma was going to throw another punch, and, and you know the K State's strategy of bend but don't break, and just hope that you know you stop on downs when your your back's against the wall. That's that's not tenable. That's not something you can rely on. So. I, I again, I, I thought that was an exceptional effort by by Delton in the offense. But to the larger point, though, I felt like this was a game that kind of broke Bill as we looked forward to 2018, where he thought I can get this out of him every week. I, and I think that was unfortunate that kind of spearheaded the whole Skyler Delton debate in 2018. But we will save that for that particular podcast. So the Wildcats now have dropped three straight big 12 games following that, uh, that opening win against the Baylor bears in the conference slate. So K-State 
Big 12 title hopes all but out the window here at this juncture of the season. And now it's <laughs> Nutter, it's it's an all too familiar scene. We're we're talking, we're looking at that schedule, and uh, we did talk about how it kind of softens up at the end. But again, all of a sudden, your your margin for error, if you're wanting to make the postseason, it's pretty much out the window. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately for us, you know, it it sets up pretty nicely the rest of the way. Um, you know, obviously, you've got the what what everyone thinks is going to be the shot in the arm. You know, back on track win at, at in Lawrence. You know, the, the, then you had to Lubbock for a Texas Tech team whose number you've had for the last several years. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely a couple winnable games here, you know, coming up down the stretch, a chance to get back on track. But, yeah, you know, like like you just said, razor thin. I mean, you can only afford what? I think one more one more loss, maybe two more losses the rest of the way. So, I mean, it's you're going to have to be on your A game the rest of the way. I mean, you've just, unfortunately, once again, put yourself in this position. So... K-State heads to Lawrence for the Sunflower Showdown. KU, uh, <laughs> KU is KU. They're they're one and six coming into this contest. They're zero and four in Big Twelve play. Um, I, I think everybody is feeling a little bit more encouraged after seeing Delton and the offense show a little bit of life. Uh, you know, you have that TCU game, but and you at least you follow it up with a much more respectable effort against the team that ultimately ends up winning the conference and and is an overtime win away from making the national championship. They they totally ate the curb in that uh, playoff game against Georgia. But uh, to bring it back to the Sunflower Showdown, we've Delton is going to be your starting quarterback. Um, and he again, he does a fine job uh, leading the offense uh, early on in this contest. Uh, case it gets ball to start this game and the Wildcats go right down the field and uh, Delton hits Byron Pringle on a nice pass ends up racking up almost 30 yards but Pringle ends up coughing up the ball uh, at in the KU red zone so the Wildcats after what was were looking potentially at a first down and 10 at the KU 22 yard uh, or uh, inside the KU 20 yard line they give up the ball and take and again you leave point ostensibly you live points on the field there KU goes on a field goal drive to pull uh to strike first take the first uh point uh to draw first blood here so Hawks up three nothing uh then DJ Reed on the ensuing kickoff uh really the only kind of firework we see in this first half uh Clint as far as kick returns go uh, this this was uh, we haven't really seen a lot of explosive plays in special teams, but this this was a nice uh, and a, a very much needed shot in the arm uh, for this team on this day. Yeah, DJ Reed does this little like kind of slowly walks into it, does this little stutter step, and then all of a sudden he sees the hole and he's gone. Kind of lulled the KU special teams uh, to sleep on that one. Um, nice kick return touchdown to go with the punt return touchdown he had earlier in the season. And Alex, you said it, man. He hit him with that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm well, sorry. I'm, the, sh- I'm the shocked he didn't get a penalty on that. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. So the, the, the Hawks though respond and they get a field goal to pull with the within one on their next possession. Then K state again, offensively. So this is Wildcat's second possession of off on offense. Uh, Delton leads the group right down the field once again to get down to the KU five and K-State's confront. And again, this is kind of where we, we talk about be a little bit more creative <laughs> inside the red zone and kind of stunning. We don't see uh, Winston Dimmel get any cracks too. 
uh, inside the five here. So K-State gets uh, down uh, to a third and one at the KU five. Delton runs for no gain. They send the offense back out on fourth and one. Delton again stopped for no gain. So KU's defense has really kind of been the story and has saved the day for this team because K-State, you know, potentially, you know, at the five, you're certainly thinking touchdown there. And then on that previous possession, who knows, but K-State would have been looking at a a first down in the KU red zone. So, you know, at, at bare minimum, you're probably talking 10 points taken off the board here, but the Wildcats finally do force a, a stop and, and they themselves on the return possession get a field goal right before half. So K-State takes a 10 to 6 lead into the locker room and then really the play that kind of defines this game and allows K-State to breathe a little bit. Uh, the Wildcats uh, sack Carter Stanley uh, on uh, the first play of the second half and uh Jade Kirby ends up scooping up the fumble for K-State. Uh, so the Wildcats are in business at the KU 20, uh, excuse me, the KU 18 yard line. Now, at this point, Alex Delton has gone out of the game for Kansas State. So we're, we're talking about a game that is very much still in the balance. At this point, it's only 10 to 6. And now we're calling upon redshirt freshman Skylar Thompson to not just lead, but he's going to need to make plays to get K-State a win in, in this contest. And, and he is coming in now. I, how, What's everybody's confidence at this point? We have we have no tape. We know nothing about Skyler and, and what he brings to the table here. Um, I'll, I'll start with you, Alex. How how were you feeling when you saw Skyler come in to start that second half? Well, I'll be honest. Uh, the only thing I remember about this game is the night, the DJ Reed kickoff return. And I don't remember this game being this close. So I don't even remember Delton getting, getting hurt and Skylar getting any playing time. So. Yeah, I'm this game was just, annoying. That's about looking, the only thing I remember about it is it, you know, seemed like, you know, normally, you know, it's, trying to think how to put this like we go right down the field on that first drive and Pringle gets that ball punched out from behind and it's like oh crap what kind of day are we in for here but to answer your question Jeff like obviously you know no disrespect to KU but like if there's a situation you want him coming in you you want a new kid coming in for it's against this team um you know uh, we've said it before that like when we lose our starting quarterback we tend to close up the playbook we already didn't have our starting quarterback and we had already closed up the playbook. So <laughs> I kind of expected it to be, you know, more or less we, what we had already seen. I mean, Delton had only thrown, I think, seven passes the whole game anyway. So I really didn't expect it to be much different. I don't remember a quarterback being more hyped up during their true freshman year than Skylar Thompson was. I mean, everyone was raving about him and what kind of player he was going to be. So I, I was really looking forward to just any opportunity to see him get real um, game reps. Uh, I, I was high on Alex Delton coming in, but I was even higher on Skylar Thompson. So, I, yeah, I, I felt good. I was excited about it. Fortunately, when you start at the opponent's 18-yard line and you have a running back like Alex Barnes, you it's pretty cut and dried in terms of what you need to do. And, and, and Barnes ends up getting the Wildcats into the end zone, three plays, 18 yards. So K-State stretches that, that 10 to six lead out now to 17 to six. So everybody's feeling a little bit better. And another, you said annoying. I, I, 
I was so mad at myself for doing this. I, I bought a ticket to this game. It was a gorgeous day in, in Lawrence, you know, not a cloud in the sky, 50 degrees, nice brisk fall Saturday. And I just, and after that first, that opening possession where we're just driving right down the field, I'm like, okay, this will, we're going to get right here. We'll, we'll get a nice little, nice dub. And, and then this game just ends up being a lot more stressful than I think anybody really wanted it to be. And then, but fortunately K-State, as we mentioned, gets out 17 to six. Now they force a punt on the next possession and then Skyler and, and Barnes, we really just, this is pretty much what's going to happen. The combination, the rest of the game, we're just going to zone read and let Alex Barnes and Skyler uh, pretty much shoulder the load in the running game. And that's how we're going to get out of Lawrence with the win. So the Wildcats, uh, after getting ball back, go on a nice drive with a short field. They start at their own 46. Uh, they do get down to the KU 22, but unfortunately have to settle for a Matt McCrane field goal. So it's now 20 to six. K-State forces a punt on the ensuing possession. So defense after KU's moved the ball pretty nicely in the, in that first half. The defense, though, for the Wildcats has uh, shown well here to start off a half number uh, two and forcing p- uh, fumble, punt, punt uh, in the first few possessions for the Hawks. Now, after that, it's 20 to six. Uh, K-State ends up having to give the ball back to KU. Uh, and KU and Carter Stanley actually had a very fine day throwing the ball. He directs uh, a 97-yard touchdown drive. Eats up a lot of time doing it. Takes this one into the fourth quarter. Uh, but Tyler uh, Taylor Martin rather is able to get a touchdown, a five-yard touchdown run on a third down one play. So K-State now uh, starting to sweat a little bit. It's 20 to 13. They have to punt the ball right back on their ensuing possession. So KU now has a chance to potentially pull level, but fortunately, K-State's defense steps up and uh, break, and uh, see a couple of nice pass breakup by Denzel Goolsby. K-State's able to get this one right back and then on a shortened field following a a, <laughs> a horrible KU punt. Uh, K-State is able to go, uh, starts this drive on the 26. Alex Barnes, Alex Barnes, Alex Barnes touchdown. So the Wildcats fortunately stretch this one out to 27 to uh, 13. And really at this point, the game's pretty well sealed up. KU does get a touchdown and, and makes the Wildcats uh, sweat just a little bit longer, but ultimately K-State's able to push this one out to 30 to 20 and the Wildcats walk out of Lawrence with a victory in the Sunflower Showdown. So now, again, you have to go all the way back to 2008 for the Jayhawks' last win in the series. So K-State, well, not the the blowout that we always hope and expect in this in this contest wildcats are big winners today despite being outgained by KU 482 to 340 uh Carter Stanley has just a field day throws for 418 yards in this contest but again K-State able to hold on you get a nice relief outing from Skylar Thompson and that will then take us into uh the wildcats uh, six con uh, excuse me six big 12 contest of the year road trip uh, against the texas tech red raiders uh, what else can you say about tech you know what they are you know what you're going to get out of them um this game uh, this this was a very tale of a lot of a lot of moments in this game uh delton is is healthy he comes out he starts 
Um, but then again, he gets knocked out once again. So uh, I, I don't think, and I'll, I'll just stop, pause here to ask a question. I don't, I have never seen, and I hope I never have to see a season like this again in the sense of we're, we're so hell bent on just quarterback running the hell out of every team that we're getting guys hurt. Like it's, it's every week now that somebody, it seems like somebody's going out and we're having to shuffle things up and guys, I, I, I can't think of anything remotely close to this. Like there've been years where we've had quarterback battles, but we've never seen it like this where it's literally, you know, guys going in and out of the lineup every other week. Yeah, I mean, it was wild. I mean, there you could only blame the coaches. I mean, this was like you said, it's happening every single week. Um, if if you aren't already souring on this coaching staff and and looking for a change, then I, it it's definitely happening about now. Um, yeah, I'm back in the '90s and early 2000s, we'd run the quarterbacks all the time, but it it just it just wasn't quite the same thing. Where you know, if it wasn't working. We're not just going to keep running you right into the center over and over again. We're going to try some different things. I don't, I don't know why this – I guess it's because that's the only thing that they thought was going to work, and the, they didn't care what the end result was as long as the ball was moving down the field. Yeah, I think it also comes down to, at least in this season, kind of favoring Delton because obviously he's the backup to start the year but then he keeps getting hurt and Skyler gets put in, but then, Oh, Delton's available again. Let's put him back in where at this point you might as well think, Hey, you know, Delton hasn't really shown all like he's a dynamic athlete, but he hasn't shown too much throwing the ball. Maybe at this point in the season, we should go with the guy that has the better passing capability and try to preserve the health of our quarterbacks. Um, and it's just so funny how, this isn't really a quarterback competition as much as it's, it's just a quarterback health competition. Who can stay healthy and be in there? Because um, I, you know, if Delton sign of a very hurt, vital program, <laughs> right? If Delton doesn't get hurt, I don't think Skyler gets much playing time this year, um, which obviously sets up the next year for something completely uh, different on on those terms of the quarterback controversy of of uh 2018 but yeah it's just one of those it's like whatever we're doing isn't working and we keep having to go back to doing something else and then the second it's available again we just keep doing the same thing again until the same results keep happening yeah frankly it's pretty reckless i think it's probably is probably the best word to describe it i mean it's you know we, we use the term sketty brains or battering ram or whatever you want to call it all the time but like the fact that we have had two able-bodied quarterbacks go down multiple times over the course of this season because of the crap we're doing. The the inability to adjust to that is is pretty mind-boggling. And the fact that you're spreading out all these carries amongst your, you know, we had at least three very capable running backs, and they're all getting not even double-digit carries in most games, keeping them fresh, but then our quarterbacks, here's, you know, 20 carries a game. I don't know. It's just what what are what are we expecting? You gotta you yeah, gotta it, even that load a little bit better. And the KU game was such an outlier too, in the sense that and and again, I think the staff like for, for the level of security you had and the play calling with 
uh, with Delton, it, it had to have been reduced that much more because uh, with uh, with Skyler because Barnes had 25 carries in that game. And K-State ran the ball very effectively, and they didn't have to lean on QB run, QB run to be successful. And I understand that's against KU, but still at the end of the day, like I, I just, for the life of me, I have no idea why that concept isn't really – you know that it's just going in one ear out the other. It's like, well, this can only this is only working right now in this one in this one moment. We can't certainly apply the same concept to next week's game plan and and, and reevaluate our stance on how we're attacking opposing defenses. But neither here nor there. I I, I want to bring it back to the Tech game. As I said, th- this was a very entertaining game. I was actually had a. Um, uh, preparing for the uh, arrival of my son and my wife and I were at a child uh, birthing class at uh, North Kansas City Hospital so I missed a uh, lion's share of this game and as we uh, we were getting back uh, the class was wrapping up I, I was fortunate enough to catch the uh, the last couple of minutes of regulation on the radio and uh, Texas Tech has pretty well got it on ice. They've got the ball deep in K-State territory. They're up 35-27. Clayton Hatfield just has to come on and and knock in a gimme field goal, but he ends up biffing it. And K-State, fortunate enough to, on uh, on the return possession, uh, drive down the field. And Clint, we talk about it again. Uh, Skyler has come into the game after Delton has been knocked out. And he has a very memorable drive here and a big completion to our boy, Dalton Schoen. Again, I think that really underscores a great relationship and the great rapport that those two had probably from their time on the practice squad together. And they're as true freshmen, uh, they drive K-State down uh, the field and Skyler hooks up. Uh, excuse me, Skyler scores on a one yard touchdown run with 42 seconds left. And then the two point conversion we've t- we we've always made light at whatever K-State needs to make a critical two. We can all but bank on the fact that it's going to go sideways in a, in, a, in a very bad way. But fortunately, Dalton Schoen comes through and reels in the two point try. I remember very vividly seeing when I got home, uh, Gene Taylor that happened right in front of Gene Taylor. I remember him clapping on the sideline. That was just a really cool moment. So K-State sends this one into overtime. Byron Pringle on the Cats opening possession in overtime hauls in an eight yard touchdown pass. Uh, uh, just Skyler just rifles a bullet right over the middle of the field and a great throw. And that ultimately ends up being the game deciding score. K-State's defense ends up holding uh, Nick Shimanek, who does what every generic Texas Tech quarterback does, throws for five, uh, excuse me, 400 yards, four touchdowns, but he airmails on a fourth down play, throws it out of the back of the end zone. I remember Duke Shelley and DJ Reed, arms in the air, big win. Uh, so the Wildcats escape Lubbock with a big win, uh, 42 to 35 in overtime. Um, I don't know what else to say about this game. I, I, I thought this was a very coming of age moment for, for a freshman in Skylar Thompson. I, I just thought that was very cool to see him. And that this is when I remember John Kurtz started coining the, the, that that phrase, the legend of Skyler, because this is when he had started coming in and in, in, in critical situations and led that comeback. I thought that was just a very cool moment, and that got me very excited for his future at Kansas State. Yeah, I mean, his best quality that year was his clutchness. I mean, he, he wasn't exceptional in a lot of games uh, until it really came down uh, to the wire. And that, that last drive wasn't a 
you know, wasn't like one of those two minute drives that K State can never seem to do, but it, it was, you know, right at the end of the game where he, if if you didn't make the plays, you might not get another shot. And, uh, you know, he, he let him down the field. He got that two point conversion. And then in the overtime, that TD that he connected with Byron Pringle, I believe that was an RPO. So even as a young player, he was uh, doing things, not just like, okay, this is a slant. Okay, this is an out. I mean, things that you actually have to think about and make decisions that he was already capable of doing them. A couple things I wanted to mention from this game is, uh, you know, early on in the game, Dalvin Warmack gets a carry, makes a nice play, scores a touchdown, and then you kind of just don't see him ever again. And at that point, I'm just like, why does this guy not get the ball more? And then also just shout out to Duke Shelley, made a really nice interception uh, and stayed on his feet, returned that for a touchdown. That was a really big play in the game. Um, And yeah, I think the funny thing about Skyler is this whole season is almost a microcosm. He'll come up real big in a lot of games, but then, you know, you have like the UCLA game and it's just you get really excited, but then you kind of you want that consistency. And we'll get into that more, but you uh, you mentioned Warmack. Was this the year that we had talked him into coming back instead of transferring, or was that the following year? I think it was next the season. next year. Yeah, it's the next year. Yeah, just criminally underused, basically for the duration of his career. I felt terrible for that guy. Um, but as he far as this game goes, you know, sorry, what? I was just saying he looked good when he got carries. That's right. He just he, they just for whatever reason never wanted to give him the ball. Um, you know, as far as this game goes, just another chapter in what's become a pretty crazy, you know, series against Texas Tech. You know, we always seem to find some way to pull this game out. It might not have been quite as good as the game the year before, um, but another sneaky, really good game. You know, obviously very different set of circumstances this time. But, yeah, I mean, you know, given what's on the line and, you know, we're trying to preserve, you know, a shot at the postseason here and, having to ride a freshman who we at this point know still pretty much nothing about. It's yeah. Pretty massive win given the timing of all of it. I think I said earlier on the podcast, sorry, I was going to say, I I think I said early in the podcast, uh, if it wasn't for the weirdness of the Iowa state series, the Texas tech series is, is, you know, almost right up there with just like games we shouldn't win that we do. And, uh, maybe not the crazy endings, just the weird things that happen throughout the games and big plays and how one-sided it's been. It's just you. You always seem to be able to bank on one non-offensive touchdown against Tech every single year. Yeah, yeah. Nutter, you always say crazy things happen in Ames. Down in Lubbock, they say crazy things happen in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. I would love to know where the Texas Tech, the average Texas Tech fan ranks their their hatred of K State versus other conference foes. I think that'd be a very funny question to put out there for Tech fans. But uh, the Wildcats made this win makes it six out of seven for Kansas State over the Red Raiders, a, a program that I had really nothing but contempt in my heart for going back to the days of, of Mike Leach throwing it all over some of those Snyder 1-0 teams at the end of his tenure. I again, I can never enjoy uh, not enjoy a win over the Red Raiders. So the Wildcats uh, move to five and four on the season. Now we we get ready to 
welcome in uh, Will Greer and the West Virginia Mountaineers to Manhattan, Kansas. So Skyler getting his first home start uh, as a Wildcat. So uh, this, God, we talk about the Tech game being weird. This game was wild fireworks all over the damn place in the first half. K-State has a DJ Reed pick that gets the Wildcats down inside the five-yard line, but they're not able to cash in and get a touchdown. K-State forces four turnovers all in the first half, yet still somehow finds themselves uh, behind going into the locker room. But this one, again, just a bunch of dumb dipshittery, uh, again, not able to convert in, in cr- very crucial situations. Uh, also, the Will Greer to David Sills combination is lethal. Like, that 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 would kill you. And they also had Karan White was in there, Gray, Gary Jennings, Kennedy McCoy. They, I mean, they had... And, they had a lot of good players offensively on that West Virginia squad, but uh, I'd, uh, who wants to take the lead on this one? I I just remember this for th- this game wasn't this game almost falls under what you said a little bit earlier with KU. This is almost more annoying than it was anything else because I really did feel like K State was the better team and just let this one really slip away. I believe the word you just used was dipshittery, and that pretty well describes this one perfectly. Um, just absolute garbage weather for this game. Uh, you know, I, I was at this one, and it was miserable. I mean, even tailgating was not fun for this one, and that's that's pretty hard to pull off. But, uh, yeah, you know, we, we get that pick. We take it all the way down inside the five, have to settle for a chip shot field goal. You know, and, and that's I know kind of a theme of this season is, like, not being able to capitalize on short fields. You know, we, we get out to a 6 nothing lead. They take it right back. Um, another theme in this one I seem to remember is having Will Greer in our grasp in the backfield and just not being able to bring his ass down. Feels like if we do that even half of those opportunities, this game goes way different. But uh, can't bring him down. Um, and then there is an just absolutely maddening sequence just before half. Um, West Virginia is driving. And they cough it up uh, at roughly at the K-State 40, if I remember right. And you can tell we're kind of in like that no man's land of there's not really enough time left to do anything. Maybe if we can rip off a big play, we can we can steal a field goal here. Um, and we run what is a, I only know because we just looked it up right before we started filming. It was a middle screen to Dimmel where I think it was Dalton Reisner uh, had come off of his block or the defensive lineman had just gained enough separation. I don't think Skyler ever saw him standing there. He's able to pick it off at about the 30, and then Greer just lets it rip um, on the last play of the half, and I don't even recall the receiver's name, but we have four or five guys just standing around staring at each other in the end zone. He hauls it in, and that uh, ultimately ends up beating the decider. We can only manage a field goal in the second half. We hold them off the board, but all we can put up is three points. So, yeah, very, very, very frustrating game all the way around. That last play before half where they scored a touchdown was another one of those. It looked like we had him sacked about three different times on that play, and he just kind of escaped and backed up and, shift, you know, faded to the left and then just, oh, hey, there's a wide-open guy. Time, No time on the clock at halftime for a touchdown. Yeah, that two-play sequence is, I mean, pretty much a nightmare sequence. He literally had, like, about 10 seconds to just sit in the pocket 
And he, he, like you said, he did this all game where he just kind of danced around and it didn't matter. Reggie Walker, Tanner Wood, whoever, Kyle Ball would just have him and then he would just kind of scoot over. And I'm, I'd like to think it was his ability and not just our defenders who just, I mean, it, he looked, it was the most slippery player I've ever seen out there. God, I, I was trying to think earlier today, like other players that were like that. The only guy I could really think of was uh, back when Jake Plummer used to play for the Broncos back in the <laughs> back in the nineties, and he did the same thing to the Chiefs constantly. Um, yeah, and just thinking about that that weird screenplay we tried to run, it was like we had never run a screen in practice. Uh, the play before that, Dalvin Warmack got tackled in the backfield for negative four yards, and it just seemed like we were content to let the the half run out. And then at the last second, we decided, oh, let's run this kind of little bit of a tricky play to to see if we can get some more yards. And the, you know, in totally... fairness, Clint, I think the last screen we ran before that was to Darren Sproles and Arrowhead. So. <laughs> probably. Well, yeah, you know, Leon Patton probably got a few, but that wasn't uh, that wasn't Bill Snyder's. Good one, Nutter. Way to way to lighten up the mood. Uh, God Almighty, I. This is such a first half. K-State has 11 possessions in the first half. Uh, now, a lot of these, again, this, this is very much Skyler showing his youth. Uh, three and out, three and out, three and out. Field goal, field goal, three and out. Like, it's it's it, it's a, it, it's very inconsistent. The, the offense is just sputtering. They can't get, you know, can't even get their footing here. But in the same breath, West Virginia's going on their first several possessions, fumble, punt, pick, punt. So it's not like K-State's defense wasn't giving the offense the opportunity in, in several short fields. When you get the ball in, in, inside the five, that's got to be a touchdown. And K-State only is uh, unfortunately has to settle for three. Um, but uh, again, we go back and forth, back and forth in this first half. And you, you talked about the screenplay. That that was frustrating in and of itself, but the the touchdown reception by by Sills right at the gun going into the locker room was a killer. Now K State's defense does come out and force uh, a couple of punts to start out the second half, and DJ Reed has a nice return, takes the ball almost uh, forty, uh, takes it forty four yards to set K State up with a first down and ten at the West Virginia twenty six. So again. You only have to cover one quarter of the field here to get this thing into the end zone. But unfortunately, the offense, again, just very stagnant and sputters here. So the Wildcats have to settle for a field goal attempt. Now, this was a very controversial call. The 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 ball, McCrane crushes this thing, and it just kicks it straight over the top of the upright. And the officials rule that it's no good. So... I know Snyder was pretty hot about that, but at the end of the day, that this it, it wasn't like that. That was the play that lost K State the game. You had so many cracks to get touchdowns in this one, so many short fields that you can't convert. Uh, now K State comes back on its next possession, gets yet another field goal, so it's twenty-eight to twenty-three now, and then. Um, and what's just been a, a, a dreary, it, it's an ugly day outside. It's been raining off and on and, and it's foggy and it's just uh, f- fans have kind of lost interest as the things have really kind of stagnated in, in the second half. And a lot of people are starting to head for the exits a little bit early, but 
Skylar puts together a, a nice little drive to get K-State into the into West Virginia territory. Um, has a couple of nice completions uh, to Byron Pringle, to Schoen, the Wildcats in business uh, inside the West Virginia 20 here. And on a third down and five from the West Virginia 19, Skylar gets picked right at the goal line and in and, and, and very eerily similar position to where he got intercepted in the 2019 game at the end of regulation and what would have been the go-ahead touchdown. Uh, same thing happens here, and that was really K-State's last legitimate crack to get into the end zone. Uh, the, the defense does force a three and out and gets the ball back to the offense uh, with six minutes left, but uh, again, things have just been so erratic for this group all day long. They they ultimately have to they turn the ball over, and West Virginia is able to walk over a walk out of Manhattan with a 28 to 23 win. So Will Greer and company really do just steal one from from K State. This this just again it just sucked having to watch this game because defense did so much, gave you so many opportunities, and the offense shot itself in the foot despite being plus two in the turnovers winning time of possession 36 minutes to only 24. I mean you followed the recipe to a T and and you weren't able to get the win here so K-State now falls to five and five on the season so and and the other thing that's starting to look a little dicey now that that was probably what I, I know the Iowa State game is coming up at the end of the year but Iowa State's actually turned things around under Matt Campbell. We talked about how in 2016 was year one for Campbell and company, and they they Iowa State was not a very good squad that year. They've really turned things around here in 2017. This was also the year that Iowa State had upset Oklahoma and Norman. So your final two games to close out this season are against a top 10 Oklahoma State team in Stillwater and then a much improved Iowa State team uh, in the season finale in Manhattan. So Again, you're you're really starting to feel the pressure, and you know that margin for error is getting slimmer by the week. So, K State has to go into Stillwater now to take on a top ten ranked, as I said, Oklahoma State squad. Now, this is Oklahoma State coming off of a loss in Bedlam, so pretty fortuitous timing for Kansas State in this game. Uh, but but I'll say this, I I get it when teams are down. You you know you lose a a rivalry game like that and a game that Oklahoma state obviously loads up and wants to really go out and win. I understand emotionally taking a little bit hit the fall, a little bit of a hit the following week, but K state really came out and just worked Oklahoma state through pretty much the first two and a half quarters of this game. Did you, and I, I, I get, like I said, I get the hangover element, but I feel like K state was really just the, the vastly superior and the far more motivated team early on against the pokes. Byron Pringle was certainly. I mean, he, he kind of <laughs> carried the entire team there for a while. Um, you know, I mean, the the offensive linemen still have to block, and Thompson still has to get it to him. But holy cow, did Byron Pringle have a game? Jeff, and, I distinctly remembered texting you during this game, and I had to go dig it up because I didn't want to get it wrong. But uh, <laughs> when we hit Pringle for his final score to go up forty-two to thirteen, the exact text I sent you was. This is officially reached win or fuck off mode. And I think that is, I mean, seriously, I mean, you knew we were going to have to sweat it out because of that prolific offense. And, you know, we were, we were going to, we were going to tighten up when it got to that point, but oh my God, to finally get one of these damn things in Stillwater, this one felt really, really good. 
It did. We only uh, had to the, be up by 30 or 25 points. Yeah, like that that's the other thing too, you know. When you make it 42 to 13 and you're up by 29, this that yes, that is that is absolutely no excuses, no reason whatsoever. And not only <laughs> Uh, to, to briefly recap, Clint, you talked about it. Byron Pringle has probably the greatest individual, like special specialist performance of the Snyder 2-0 era. I, I'd say with the kick return touchdown, with all the touchdown receptions that he has in this game, I, I'd say you'd be hard pressed to find a, a, another outing by a K-State receiver. Even like strangely enough, even thinking about at, games like that Tyler Lockett had. Tyler Lockett had a lot of games where he just caught a a ton of balls and, and would go for you know 150 or whatever. But you never really saw Tyler go off and have like a, a three or four touchdown type game like this. Tyler was just always reliable, and you know you could count on him for 100 plus yards. But I don't think with with the way that Byron just torched them and as many times as he found the end zone, I don't think we ever really saw a game from a, a specialist the way that we saw uh, Byron produce today. Yeah, I mean, that Tyler Lockett game against Oklahoma in 2013 uh, was similar. But, I mean, you don't think about it as much because we weren't able to come away with a victory. The uh, Wild Wings Bowl is the only other one I can think of, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a remarkable effort by by Byron Pringle at this point. And again, we we touched on it. Uh, he's been <laughs> eerily quiet this year, um, and I, I think frustratingly so. I think a lot of K State fans, uh, Clem, you mentioned, you know, we, we had expectations of him being the next Quincy Morgan, and 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 through the first few games, you know, we we see. Yes, he has the big outing against Central Arkansas, but only three catches for 25 against Vanderbilt. Nothing against Baylor. Only one catch against Texas. Three catches against TCU. Two catches against Oklahoma. He's just been really, really quiet. But he does start coming on after that Oklahoma game. Has 92 yards receiving against Kansas, 95 against Tech. Um, Follows it up with a pretty quiet outing against West Virginia. Only has 28 yards there, but uh, has a 166-yard, three-touchdown receiving performance against Oklahoma State today and also has the kick return touchdown as well. So a, a an exceptional individual effort on his part. Now, also, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Skyler, the guy getting him the ball. Uh, Skyler had a great outing today. Uh, wasn't asked to throw it a whole lot, but... Uh, of his 13 attempts, he connected on 10, threw for over 200 yards and three touchdowns, no picks. You, you can't ask for a whole lot more. And he really, uh, he set the tone early uh, in leading K-State down the field, I think, for that first, for that opening touchdown drive. And and, and this is a game where, what a shocker, we actually see an actual balance of carries. We see Barnes get 22, 17 for Skyler. We see Justin Silman get seven carries as well. What a shocker when you're able to actually stress a defense with different weapons like that. That and we're also in the same breath. We're also not worrying about Skyler getting hurt um, just because we're no we know we're not going to be running him 29 times or whatever the hell we're sending here trying to run Delton. The, the, this was probably the best and most complete offensive effort against a quality opponent this season. I I, w- I just came away very impressed by that. Now Nutter. Uh, you talked about 
the winner f off statement, um, which I, I I'm sure I probably had a very similar sentiment uh, on that front. Um, K State uh, following Skyler's third touchdown connection to Pringle, a 60 yarder, is up 42 to 13 with five minutes and change left in the third quarter. Uh, we're really talking about at this point. We're talking about possessions. How many possessions left? Is, uh, how many possessions is Oklahoma State going to get? And it's really a matter of can, can you get like one stop? Well, K State doesn't really feel like stopping Oklahoma State for the rest of the afternoon. And Mason Rudolph and company wake the hell up. Uh, he ends up throwing for 425 yards in this game, and he leads a furious comeback to get Oklahoma State back to within 45 to 40. And there also comes a moment late in this contest, a, a very critical fumble in which Oklahoma State gets on. So K-State goes from being up by 29 points with only about 20 minutes of game time left to giving the ball back to the opposition with a chance to take the lead in regulation. Again, that 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 sentence, that statement is what was probably the most infuriating for me in that we you, you don't have to do a whole lot more in this contest after you get up by that. You just have to stay somewhat focused and not just totally eat the curb. But I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like I, I think that was a lot more Oklahoma State waking up. But I don't know. Did you guys have a different take on that? My take was how catastrophic it would have been to lose this game after being up so big. That would have been just the ultimate, uh, just of all the games of the last few years that we just could not hold a lead. This would have just been embarrassing. Yeah, I I, I might not have watched the next game if that would have happened. I mean, that, <laughs> that catastrophic is the perfect word for it. And the sad thing is they would have beaten us if there was 10 more minutes, five more minutes of game time, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... We just did just enough in the first two and a half quarters to barely put ourselves uh, far enough ahead. But Yeah, we, we just absolutely got on our heels. You know, the defense was just playing don't get beat over the top, and they did just enough underneath. To, you know, I mean, they, they were happy to take that. For that kind of offense, that's plenty of time to do that. But then I think we just kind of slammed the playbook shut on offense. And it, yeah, what we were one-fourth down and complete, like, it's my opinion, and I actually noticed it, Jeff, when I was pulling. I just pulled up that old text conversation. I think something was wrong with Mason Rudolph that day. Like, I don't know if he was hurt and they were trying to cover it up or what, but he was just missing guys all over the place that day. And uh, if that's the case, that might have what bit that might be what saved us at the end of the game because we were we were definitely in playing not to lose mode, and it we, it, it damn near cost us. I will say this is an embarrassing game for an Oklahoma State fan. I would think, like, I'm sure they were just. How do we lose this game? That was just. I wouldn't have been like to be on the other side of that for sure. Yeah, I've never gone back and looked and seen if it was the same cornerback and safety that were covering Pringle the entire game. But that's, I mean, whoever that is has to. Do you know who it is? No, but I was gonna say. As good of a game as he had, he only had four catches. Like, that's got to be the most prolific four-catch game of all time. Well, no, yeah. 40 yards, a, 40 yards a pop is pretty good, you know? Yeah. yeah. That was kind <laughs> of his entire hard. season and his entire career. I mean, he finished this year with 30 receptions for 600 yards, some yards with, like, a 24-yard average. 
I think that's either first or second all-time best average for a K-State receiver. But when you think Byron Pringle at K-State, this is his game. For and sure. he only had four catches. Like, that's sure. crazy to me. This might be a ridiculous question, but I've thought it before. If not for this game, does that dude get a shot in the league? Uh, I'm, I don't I know. Don't, <laughs> I still think – I don't think it changes that much on – I mean, because he still was undrafted free agent, so. Yeah, and yeah, he worked his way on with special teams. What's yeah. that? He worked his way onto the Chiefs through his special teams contribution. Yeah, and then had to survive an injury. Like I said, that's probably a stupid question, but it's definitely one I've thought that like this, this, that, that game. I mean, it's it's just so iconic and just so clearly defines his career at K State that mm-hmm. can't you know I can't help but wonder. Like, I, I imagine a lot of NFL scouts watch that one for sure. Yeah, I mean, he had probably the worst case of the drops of any receiver I've ever seen this yep. year. I mean, that's why he only came away with 30 receptions on the entire season. So it was really nice to see him have this big game because, I mean, he's just one of those players that you just are rooting for so hard that even with all the drops he had, I still wanted him to be out there. Um, I still wanted the ball to go his his direction. I would have liked it more if he would have gotten some reverses or some short screen passes to kind of build up his confidence. Um, But that just wasn't our game plan. I was going to say intermediate passing is is definitely not in the Snyder 2.0 playbook. Uh, Nutter, though, to to your point about you know big big games really making careers and getting guys an opportunity. Like I, I don't know why I went down this rabbit hole. It was just recently actually. Um, Yaman figures a pretty big receiver for K State uh, in in the begin in the end of 2.0 and the beginning of Ron Prince's era. Um, Again, he's got freak speed. Like he's got Aaron Lockett adjacent speed. He's right there in terms of what he could run in the forty, and hey, he could really break games. But he was a third round draft pick. I don't think he sniffs anywhere close to that if he doesn't have his monster day against Texas, where Freeman just carves him up with with those pa- all those passes. So. You know, who's to say they they might have seen and, and loved that tape, which I, I don't know what you really you see out of Byron Pringle in that because yeah. again, there's just nobody in the frame. He's just running free and wide open on all, like just these bombs where nobody is <laughs> anywhere close to him. But again, who's to say, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm very happy that Byron actually is, is found a spot with the chiefs and everything. I'm certainly hoping he gets more of an opportunity to contribute uh, this upcoming season and beyond. But um at the end of the day, this ends up being a, a huge win for K-State on the road. Um, and this, as I said, Oklahoma State, I, I originally, and I apologize, I did misspeak earlier, they had dropped Bedlam. That was actually two weeks prior. Uh, they, After having lost the Bedlam game, Oklahoma State went on the road and beat Iowa State uh, in Ames 49-42. So this wasn't the immediate hangover game. So Oklahoma State had an opportunity to get right. And K-State still came out and just smacked him in the mouth in the first, uh, like I said, about the first two and a half quarters and then held on for dear life. And unfortunately, the defense came up with that one critical stop. I remember Eli Walker undercutting a guy on that fourth down pass attempt. K-State holds on 45 to 40. Uh, if, if memory serves, this was Bill Snyder's first ever win against a top 10 team on the road. I would have to, I will double check this, but I am fairly confident this was a milestone victory for him in that sense. 
which is crazy to think about. But again, we we talked about kind of an underscoring. I'll I'll take a brief look here. Give me one second to check my Phil Steele. I'll fix this in post. Da, 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 da. I believe that's okay. accurate. How so great. Snyder versus the top ten going into the season was four and thirty-three. So, and I could probably tell you the four off the top of the dome here if I felt like it, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm fairly confident this was a milestone victory for him in that sense. So, K-State picks up. The win number six in very dramatic fashion on the road in Stillwater. Again, this was and Nutter. You also touched on a, a a nice talking point there. This was after the the tit for tat where K State drops inevitably drops heartbreaker in Oklahoma, comes back and wins in Manhattan the following year. Drops heartbreaker, wins in Manhattan. Oklahoma State broke that cycle the year prior by stealing the game in Manhattan. K State comes and returns the favor this year. So. Nice to to have a little back and forth there with Mike Gundy. And, and this is a series I, I think every K-State fan, I, I, I've always enjoyed these watching these games and, and the rivalry that we do have with Oklahoma State. And another rivalry that is beginning to obviously bud at this point, this is pre-Iowa State becoming 2021, chesty Iowa State. This uh, The Cyclones come into Manhattan here on senior day uh, for a tilt with the Wildcats. Iowa State is seven and four. Kansas State is six and five. So a very evenly, a couple of evenly matched squads here. Uh, Iowa State not particularly gifted on on either side of the ball, but they do have a pretty stout defense. And this is the year they also pulled off a, a remarkable upset of Oklahoma in Norman. So K-State's got a, got its work cut out for them against the clones on this day. And, and I honestly think, um, unless there's anything that you guys want to discuss, because the first, again, three quarters of this game are, are kind of a dud offensively. K-State's defense is just uh, asked to do so much, because, again, we, we're seeing a lot of the same things with Skyler, just very sporadic production from him. Uh, the, the only touchdown that the Wildcats have in the first half comes on a short field. They only have to go 31 yards to get a touchdown, but otherwise the offense is very stagnant and struggling to move the ball against a very stout Iowa State defense. Uh, and then the second half comes, the clones take the lead, uh, but ultimately the Wildcats respond. And this again, kind of uh, the legend of Skyler continues to grow from this point. He leads the Wildcats uh, after they uh, they fall behind 19 to uh, seven. They get us a touchdown drive to pull to within 19 to 14. And then um, by virtue of a, a couple of fortuitous calls, and if memory serves, there were four defensive pass interference calls that were originally thrown on K-State that were ultimately picked up in this game. And the Wildcats, the beneficiary of a big one. Uh, Duke Shelley tangled up with Alan Lazard and they end up uh, picking up the flag. Iowa State has to punt the ball back. And then Skylar Thompson ends up leading the Wildcats down the field for a, a miraculous, ultimately walk off touchdown drive. Guys, I, I, I'll, I'll start one. I think it's a hands down. This is the best home. I, I don't even know how to categorize this. This is certainly, it, it, it's not K-State beating Texas to win the Big 12, but this this game certainly deserves some sort of distinction. I don't know what it is because you have two kind of middling Big 12 teams just really at this point we're jockeying for bowl position. 
what title should we give this game? Is this the most, this isn't the most Iowa state of Iowa state wins either. So I'm just, I'm struggling to think of a way to have a term to ascribe to this game. I'm, I, I don't even think of it as the game. I just think of it as the play. I mean, yep. I, mean, I would agree. With how that. many, how many walk-off offensive game winners has K-State had? I mean, I can just think of the 1995 uh, Cincinnati game. North Texas would be about the only North other Texas. one. Yeah. yeah. And it's a touchdown. You know, there's. I'm sure there's probably several, you know, kick a field goal to end the game type of plays where yeah. you're, okay, let's drain the clock and kick the field goal and we'll get out of here. But this is, this is a touchdown or you lose situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not... easy. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, you just don't experience as much as a K State fan. This, I mean, just the elation that you felt at the end of this play. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I was, I was once it didn't. When Skyler went to the left and it didn't work, I would, and we still had a couple seconds left. I was just yelling, "Throw it away! Throw it away!" And then you see the clock just tick down, and I just, I knew that he had ruined it. The freshman didn't know what he was doing. And then you just see Zuber wide open over there. And he just does it. I mean, he could have just like launched it, but now he does this nice little touch pass. Right. I think it was Joel Lanning who kind of got there just a half second too late. Zuber holds on and then everybody just goes wild. I mean, that it's just one of the best fandom moments. It doesn't matter what the record was it doesn't matter who we're playing i mean just any when you what time you end a game like that it's just crazy yeah i uh i was at this one so i didn't hear it live but listening to the radio call after the fact i thought this one broke stan like i i didn't think stan <laughs> was coming back from this one it was a that was an interesting one from stan for sure the one thing i'll say about this play because i'm sure everyone has seen it and has their you know analysis of it but I believe it's Alex Barnes gets a nice little chip block that yes. allows Skyler to get out of the pocket because if he doesn't get that block, I think Skyler gets sacked and we lose. Like mm-hmm. it, it gets the guy on his hip enough that it, it lets Skyler get outside and find Zuber. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. And give I, I think it's Alex Barnes. I'll look it up. I think Barnes did, and I think uh, Dalton Reisner also had a similar block that kind of just gave him an extra half second. Yeah, it was Alex Barnes and Reisner, but it was just so, it was so heads up because the play was going the other direction, and Barnes just sees, oh, it's coming my way, and he finds a guy to block, and like I said, that dude is in Skyler's face if Barnes does not get a little chip on him, so, but yeah, I thought, I thought the same thing, Clint, I thought... I thought he was extending the play and running the clock out and we were going to lose because he was going to scramble around and not have anyone to throw it to. And instead of getting two plays off, we were only going to get one. And it's not like we're out there with, you know, with five wide, we're just running a pretty basic. I believe we had 12 personnel out there if, if memory Mm -hmm. serves, but (laughs) (laughs) there's not a lot of guys in the pattern. Um, and and Byron Pringle is pretty well bottled up in this game. He's been very quiet. So it's it's Isaiah. He didn't record Zuber. any stats that day. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's it's so it's Isaiah Zuber, and we talked about how he he really did kind of pick up the slack in games where where Pringle was obviously always going to be the one the option the primary receiving option that opposing defenses are going to try and neutralize, and and that he really did struggle w- when being put into that type of role. But it was always nice to see Zuber step up, Zuber and Schoen and others uh, coming through. And uh, we also talked about it, Zach Reuter, who. <laughs> was a ghost all season long, has two huge receptions on that final drive to get K-State deep into Iowa State territory and ultimately set up uh, that go-ahead touchdown uh, pass to Zuber with no time left. Uh, Alex, remind me, I'll have to cut you a bigger check with all those podcast dollars that were reeling in for remembering that chip play. So uh, remind me of that in the group text here after we put put this one out in the ether. Yeah. So the other thing is, Zuber just makes a really nice play because he runs a little like the little slant out on the goal line and he has the awareness to kind of slip behind the defense as they're going towards Skyler mm-hmm. um, and not just hang out on the goal line. He goes he goes to the back of the end zone uh, to give himself some space. So just, you know, several guys just making excellent plays to adjust to a broken play to win a game was... I know the, the touchdown will be what everybody remembers, but Zuber actually made an awesome play to set up the touchdown, too. That, uh, Skyler kind of hit him along... The, I'm sorry? The one he got smacked on pretty Yeah, hard. I was going to say, it's kind of... You were talking earlier, Clint, about him taking that shot in the end zone against Oklahoma. Uh, he made a play similar to that uh, right near the sideline on that drive to set up the touchdown where he just got blasted right as he caught the ball. So, again, just to hang on there is obviously pretty huge, and you know, it more than likely we're not we're not talking touchdown if he doesn't hang on to that one either. So two really big plays by Zuber on that drive. And Dominic Heath again uh, said also got K State down right to the to the one yard line uh, with his catch uh, very, and very eerily reminiscent of what we saw against Oklahoma State in the 2016 game where K State got down super close. And again, fortunately, again, cats are able to get up, clock the ball, save themselves some time, have another down and chance to make things happen. Um, uh, this game was so fun. I remember I had actually um, I was in, uh, again, another instance. I, I began the season in Hayes, America with my wife and I ended it in Hayes, America with my wife. We had actually gone to the uh, Fort Hayes was in the D2 playoffs and uh, they had gotten worked over by Ferris State. And I uh, when we were coming back uh, to watch the second half of that game. Um, I, I just remember seeing the the tail end of that play, uh, or not the tail end of the play, but the the tail end of the game. I caught really just pretty much the, the fourth quarter, so I hadn't really <laughs> had a chance to appreciate how sterile the offense had been through the first you know 45 minutes of game time, but uh, just a, a remarkable way to end the season and again uh, uh, stop me if you've heard this before k-state eats the curb in the first half of conference play and then rallies to win four out of five or five out of six or whatever and, and i think that's a good time to pivot into to, um a larger talking point at this uh, juncture snyder fatigue that that term is starting to pop up more and more I, I I was happy with the way that the season ended. Again, you always have to commend and recognize the effort of the guys, never never quitting, always going out and competing, especially when the carrot that's out there, it, it, it's not a Big 12 championship. It's not a New Year's Six Bowl. It, it's just simply 
the desire to compete for K-State, the desire to make it to the postseason and to make it to some, again, a Texas Bowl or something adjacent to that, which, uh, again, we've, we were talking about more and more how bowls are just diminishing in value. But Snyder and company are always able to motivate these teams. But I, I do have to say this really the, the Vanderbilt loss and, and the way that K-State had 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 blown leads against OU and blown a lead against Texas, uh, the the play calling, it, it's just all kind of snowballed for me. And at this point, I've just kind of said, like, I, I think we've just kind of hit the ceiling of what Snyder and company are going to be in 2-0. Did you feel like this year underscored that or, or were, were you guys at, had you, you already reached this boiling point a couple of years prior? Where, where was everybody feeling on that topic at this point? Uh, I definitely thought it was time. I mean, especially, and I know you haven't really alluded to it yet, but like, I thought there was some symbolism in the fact that we played in what was then the cactus bowl previously, the, the, uh, the, uh, Oh damn it. Uh, the, the it copper bowl, ins- you know, where, where Bill say, had kind of gotten his, copper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so it kind of, it's where Bill had gotten his bowl start with K-State. I thought there was some symbolism there would have been a really nice way to wrap it up, especially getting, you know, I know we'll get into it more getting that win. Um, but I definitely, you know, I, I thought the writing was on the wall. You had seen this year, especially a lot of just maddening losses where, you know, we did enough to scare them early, but maybe didn't have the talent, didn't have the chops, you know, whatever you want to blame it on to finish a lot of these games. I think the writing was on the wall that that was only going to get worse. This is the second year in a row we kind of went on a little bit of an improbable tear. To, well, this year more improbable than the year before. Um, we kind of went on an improbable tear to get ourselves in bowl position at all. So, uh, unfortunately, I think that 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 late season surge was probably enough to buy him another year. Um, and the minds of the right people making those decisions. But yeah, in my opinion, if it were up to me, it, it, it this would have been it for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's all these like signs that were just showing that it was time. I mean, between the whole thing with Corey Sutton, with him kind of outing the the drug usage, which is something the, uh, you know, a head football coach should never do uh, for a transferring player. Uh, be, I mean, in press conferences, he couldn't remember players' names I mean, word was that Sean was just taking over more and more of the duties. Um, he was having a hard time bringing in assistant coaches other than like his former players. Uh, and the fact that recruiting would, had just been taking such a huge nosedive. I mean, add that all into the fact that this was supposed to be a really good season. And it, you know, it ended nicely, but it, it didn't live up to any sort of expectations. Um, you know, it, it definitely seemed like it was time or even past time. Yeah, the other thing is, uh, you know, we're starting to see a lot of attrition as well with, I don't know if it was quite at this time, but was it the next year there was like a whole recruiting class that was pretty much not even there anymore? Yeah, You know, like guys, guys were not sticking around anymore. They weren't buying into whatever was happening. Um, but it's just the same cycle kept happening. You'd get really excited for the season. And then, you know, maybe drop a few you shouldn't, disappointing season, then you start winning a few games at the end to get everyone kind of back on board and excited for the next season. Uh, But it was just getting, you know, you want to be a fan and you want to be like, well, if, you know, obviously if he's not going to retire, then 
well, let's talk about next season. Let's, why should we be excited about next season? But at the same time, you're like, you know, this can't go on forever. Like, when is this going to be over? When can we look forward to not having these conversations every offseason about, is this going to be his last year? Um, just And just watching the decline of all these all these games where it's like we used to we used to win all these games and now we're just we're not even surprised when we lose to Vanderbilt or or you know drop a three touchdown lead in a game anymore and it's just I don't know you start thinking about legacy and how it's going to affect that with uh Snyder's legacy going forward just the latter part of 2.0 is not what people want to remember him for And unfortunately, that was such a that was such a polarizing like people didn't want to seem to feel like there were two very divided camps, I think, on that matter. And if you thought he should retire, it meant you hated everything he did and you weren't grateful for anything he'd ever done. Where I don't think, you know, those things could coexist. I'm grateful for everything he's done for the program. Obviously, the program, the campus, the city, none of it is what it is without what Bill did over the course of his entire tenure. But you still have to be able to detach yourself from that and realize that this is going to go very south very quickly if we don't make a change at this point, as we unfortunately started to see unravel in the following year. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think a lot of people just couldn't, they couldn't separate those two things into like two separate truths. It had to be one or the other. You know, I think the Ron Prince debacle kind of added to it a lot of people are like, well, obviously no one else can win here except for Snyder. So let's just let him do it as long as he can, because apparently once he retires or dies on the sideline, then we're, you know, going back to futility you. So, Mm -hmm. so even more, you know, repercussions of the terrible Ron Prince hire was just that lingering thought that nobody else can win here. And to that point, Alex, you know, I, I hate when people throw out that term loser mentality. In case it has loser mentality, if you don't want, like, you have to, Nutter, you, you said it, you have to be able to take a step back. You have to detach yourself from a lot of different things here because there, there are a ton of variables that are at play. And, and I, I think... The, the, the traditionalists, those fans that were just saying that oh, if you're I, I remember um, the Wildcats salute the Facebook group. They were like they were saying, if you're under the age of 40, you can't have a, an opinion on any of this. And I'm like, I'm allowed to have a fucking opinion on whatever I want. <laughs> and, and, and and again, it, it's it's not to say that you're you're not grateful. I don't, I don't think anybody uh, among us four, I don't think anybody even under the age of of 30 or 20 is ungrateful for, for what he did because, and and sure some people probably don't really comprehend the context of like Manhattan would be nothing. Kansas state would have, you know, been in Wichita state status, if not for what he did with the football program. I I think a lot there's, yes, the youngest portion of the, the millennials do not grasp that part of it. But I think there are a lot of people obviously in our age that, that, 
certainly now as we approach our, you know, our mid thirties do know that. And I, I, I was in that camp too with, with, with everybody else and everything that everybody said, I feel like is accurate where at, at what point are we going to say, okay, well, this, it, it's nice that we're, we're going to bowls every year, but are you, are we realistically going to be able to continue to sustain this, the, this, not only this, but this brand of football that we're playing, that is, that, that is the margin for air continues to shrink game by game, week by week. We just continue to see, well, we need to rely more on opponent mistakes than what we ourselves can control and dictate in terms of how we attack offensively, how we attack def- defensively. We're just sitting here saying, well, we can just special team the hell out of anybody and we'll find a way to win in, in, in that. Like, again, th- those aren't sustainable things. Special teams plays you're talking about. 15 to 20 plays during the course of a game when your offense and defense are out there for 70 or 80 plays, depending on who you're playing. You know, this is, there's a lot of things that are at play. And and, and while again, I was thrilled with the way that the guys again, competed and concluded the season, you you knew, especially with the the guys who were going to be losing and heading into next year that we're, we're going to be, inevitably taking a step back and, and this is likely that team in 2018 was going to probably be a fringe bull team at best and then with the way Alex what you had touched on the way recruiting has gone the way that the we're seeing so many defections we're seeing guys also we touched on it a little bit earlier Elijah Lee a guy who was a, a barely uh, uh, included in the 2017 NFL draft we see him opt to leave early which again hey man You've got a shelf life as a player. Get your money. I, I totally get that. But in the same breath, you know, I think a, a guy in his position, if if the atmosphere surrounding the program is is not as strict and as tight as it is, if we feel like we have the personnel in place to make another run in 2018, you know, 2017, 2018 at a Big 12 title, that was probably the most disheartening thing. I think Elijah Lee would have been one of the, the cornerstones of that defense in 2017 that he stayed. Even with all that that canned material that you could just throw at him, he still opted to go to the league. And we see the same thing happen with DJ Reed next year. Like we're, we're just seeing guys that are the, the biggest contributors the, and the people who are coming in as recruits that are that that bought the Snyder and company pitch as as freshmen that might not have had other big time offers. And then all of a sudden they get on campus, they see what's going to be asked of them day to day. And they say, you know what, I'm I'm not doing this. This coach is almost 80 years old. I don't know if my position coaches, if my coordinators are going to be around in a year when I'm, you know, or two. I, I, I think everybody's we we've touched on it here at ad nauseum that it, it was time after this. And we obviously know what, what happens that he does end up have, uh, coming back for 2018. But I think we were all ready for a change if, if for no other reason, just to. To eliminate the uncertainty, because and I remember that was always a huge talking point and everybody brought that up like. You know, you, you meet up with your your friends who went to KU or whatever, and you start talking preseason. Oh, what do you think? Is Snyder going to come back? And like every time I was asked that question, I'm like, I don't know. He could leave whenever the hell he wants to leave. But at this point, I just I'm going to have to assume that he's just literally like you said, Alex. I honestly thought I was like, 
we're putting this guy in a position where he he literally is going to feel compelled to stay until he dies on the sidelines. We don't want that. We don't need that. He's done more than enough for Kansas State University, and and I think people that were clinging to him like he was the again like he's just the Messiah and that he's the only person that can do anything good for Kansas State football. I thought that that was more selfish than the younger crowd saying like let's let's let this man have his ride off into the sunset and go out the way he deserves. You know, sure, we would have liked to have seen a Big 12 title appearance or a big New Year's Six Bowl game, but at this point, he doesn't need the, the stress of having to come back, and we, we don't want to start talking about what you guys have all touched on, tarnishing legacy. I think that was going to be the toughest thing for a lot of people to handle. And it, it was it was a very tough thing to handle in 2018. We'll obviously talk more about that when we dive into that pod. But that's kind of where I think the, the mentality of this this fan base is as we head into the postseason. K-State accepts a bowl bid to go to Phoenix. It seems like every other year we're going out to Phoenix. Uh, this is for the Cactus Bowl, formerly the Insight Bowl, formerly the Copper Bowl. It's at a million different corporate sponsors, the Wild Wings Bowl. Again, it's, excuse me, anything, uh, any corporate entity and all corporate entities have sponsored this bowl game. And this is against a UCLA team that is, uh, that has released, uh, relieved rather Jim Mora of coaching duties following uh, the loss and the, the crosstown rivalry to, uh, to USC. Uh, Jed Fish comes in as the interim head coach and picks up a win against Cal. So uh, that is the sixth win for the Bruins to get them bowl eligible. So they end up squaring off against K-State in this bowl game. And this is a game... Uh, I, I I don't remember much about this game. I was actually my my uh, my son was born uh, the day after this game was played, so I, I don't re- that was the the bigger priority in my life at that point. No excuses. I, I remember. Yes. No excuses. <laughs> no excuses. I know it. I know it. Uh, forgive me for not having my priorities straight, but I I remember that UCLA was the worst P five rush defense. Uh, only they gave up nearly four thousand yards this season uh, and they gave an average over six yards per carry. It seemed pretty academic. Now, Skyler, the one thing I do remember in this game start, Skyler has a very rough go of it on the first couple of possessions. A K-State ends up switching and going to Delton, which again, that's another one of those that that's the ammunition that Snyder needed to keep to, to, to really facilitate that QB battle going into the offseason because Delton has a nice day, uh, nice day throwing, nice day running, and, and, and K-State really walks all over UCLA in this contest. They, they, they do whatever the hell they want to do running the football. Alex Barnes has a day. Alex Delton has a day. K-State picks up a 35-17 to 17 win. Um, I'll, I'll ask you guys, uh, it, it's pretty cool when you think about it in the context of Hey, our last three bowl victories are over UCLA, Texas A&M, and Michigan. That's pretty cool that little old K-State's able to topple three big giants like that. Uh, But again, at this point, I just feel like I I can't help but shake that, that feeling in the back of my mind, the macro feeling of what are we building toward now? What what is this? Is this going to springboard us into a year where we're going to be talking about being a dark horse Big Twelve candidate uh, again, or is this just simply going to push us into another year where we feel like again everything is kind of on borrowed time as far as Snyder's coaching tenure, as far as the staff's tenure? 
recruiting is going to take a dip because of the negative recruiting that's happening. You know, every all assistant coaches that K-State's going against are talking about age and of the staff and whatnot. How, how did you guys feel about the bowl victory and what that ultimately was setting K-State up for in 18? Uh, well, definitely happy about the bowl victory. I mean, I know some people, at least in 2018, ended up kind of rooting against K-State just for the hopes that uh, Snyder wouldn't be around the next year. Um, but, I mean, I, I I would never do that. Certainly not at this point. Definitely um, um, happy that that all worked out for us because there was a good portion of that first couple drives where I was like, oh, no, we're going to lose this game. Um, and Skyler just looked terrible. And I, I think I remember hearing that since Jim Mora left, a number of assistant coaches also weren't there, and it was more of like the GAs that were running things at that point. And so Josh Rosen watched, decided to sit out the bowl game. Yeah, too. And Josh <laughs> Rosen wasn't playing. Um, so yeah, I, I just worried that was going to be another really embarrassing loss we were heading for. So uh, Delton coming in was definitely the right call, and he was able to run all over them along with Alex Barnes. Um, you know, I, I really wasn't very excited for 2018. I had learned my lesson about how important depth was, and uh, it, it just didn't set up for a roster with good depth. Yeah, it. I mean, obviously, especially the way this season had shaken out, eight and five sounds a lot better than seven and six. Um, and you know, quality of opponent aside, you know, it's it's kind of a throwaway bowl game. But I've said it before. It's like you're in it, you want to win the damn thing. So, you know, I really would have liked that to have been the high note that we sent, uh, excuse me, the high note that we sent Bill out on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt pretty good about the win. Yeah. It, you know, it was kind of hollow knowing that like their marquee quarterback wasn't playing in it. They were between coaches, blah, 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 blah. We can't help any of that. You play, you, you play who you play. So yeah, to go out and win it, you know, especially, kind of, you know, laying the egg in the first half that we did to come out and win it convincingly was pretty cool. But, yeah, I do kind of wish that that had been kind of the bow on Bill's career. So, yeah, definitely enjoyed the win, enjoyed the game. But then you kind of shift towards the off season, and I feel like we'd done the same thing the last at least three or four years, just the whole off season. just, oh, is Bill going to retire? Is, is he going to hang it up? And myself... I was, uh, I think the last few years, I was kind of the un- under the impression that Bill was going to announce two weeks before the season starts that he's retiring and Sean is going to take over for the year to give him like a, a test run to hopefully get like the permanent job. And I hated that idea. But honestly, going into 2018, I was literally thinking maybe that's not the worst thing that could happen. You know, like... I don't know. I was just getting so done with it. Like, I was just like, please, let's have a roster for whenever Bill retires. Like, I'm just hoping that we have some sort of team left for the next guy to come in and not have a complete rebuild. So, yeah, this this year was it was nice to end on a high note, but it was just exhausting every offseason, just wondering what what the future of the program is going to be. Very well summed up there, guys. Uh, and, and 
I, I think we, we can pivot now and just kind of briefly touch on uh, some of the, the upperclassmen that that wrapped up their careers. And, and I do want to talk about Jesse Ertz here just very briefly before we call it quits for the night. Um, where does he rank for you guys? I, I honestly, his legacy is so mired by injuries but you think back to that one year where he was healthy and he he was so productive on the ground and he he had really shined and made progress in the passing game as the season went along in 2016 I my I don't know if my heart broke more for for any other quarterback than it did for him because I felt like had he stayed healthy this entire season that this team might have been in contention to win a Big 12 title when when it was all said and done. I certainly think it finds a way to beat Texas. It certainly finds a way to beat West Virginia. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go from finishing five and four in league play to finishing seven and two and being right up there towards the top of the standings. Um, what what are you, what's the group's feelings on on Jesse Ertz and his legacy at K State? I say, sorry. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I mean, his name goes hand in hand with injury. I mean, you can't talk about Jesse Ertz without bringing up the injuries, and that's that's unfortunate because he was a good quarterback. Um, I think when you're ranking players as far as just 2.0, I, I don't think there's any really debate where he falls. I mean, he's third behind Jake Waters and Colin Klein. Um, you know, I mean, who knows where he'd be if he had three full years like he was supposed to. Yeah, I was going to say he's kind of the what could have been, not just for himself, but the trajectory of the program. If he's healthy the whole 2015 season, because I feel like the 15 season was just kind of a lost year because of that. When we're putting in a, you know, a walk on quarterback and a wide receiver playing quarterback. But if he's healthy that year and we can win, you know, maybe eight games that year, that that kind of keeps the momentum of the program going and it doesn't really delay. And then who knows how much better he would have been as a junior and as a senior, if he was healthy. But I think talent wise, if he was healthy all three years that he was supposed to start, he'd probably be, you know, up there just under Colin Klein as quarterbacks in the two O era uh, without, without the, the games and just pretty much, being at one full season and about a what a quarter of another season um yeah i'd put him third behind waters and klein um i don't know if we are counting skyler in this i don't think skyler has done anything in one full season to be better than Ertz was in 2016 i don't know if we can count him as 2.0 since hopefully this year is his best year and it comes under a different coach but you know, I think that's a, a nice conversation to have at the end of the year, um, kind of comparing single seasons between Skyler and Ertz at the end of this season. Yeah, I, I would not count Skyler in 2-0 just because, I mean, the wide majority of anything he's done was done under Klyman. Sure. But uh, really we not much more. can get in the conversation can... of just K-State quarterbacks in general. Sure. Regardless of head coach. Sure. You know. Uh, we'll... You know. I don't think there's much I can add in terms of ranking him. I do think he's a very clear third behind Colin and Jake. Uh, not much more I can add about his accomplishments other than y- y- you won't find a better stiff arm in K-State football history. Ertz, uh, 
man, and seeing his numbers too. So he 2016, we talked about passing wise. He he hits uh, just under 58% of his throws, just under 1,800 yards, only nine touchdowns to four picks. Uh, in, in the five games that he played, he all, he threw, in 2017 he threw for seven touchdowns. So you extrapolate that out. I mean, you, you're certainly in the conversation of having a potentially a, a you know certainly a 17 18 maybe even a 20 touchdown season passing the ball he, he had already run for 336 yards through those five games averaged over five yards a carry I, I think he was certainly well on his way to uh racking up north of 800 yards in the rushing game uh, again i'm not going to spend a whole lot of more time talking stats with him. I, I if the, the thing, if you ask me though, I will say, uh, yes, he certainly does rake behind Jake, Jake waters as far as two quarterbacks. However, if you hold a gun to my head and say, I'm putting the 2014 team up against the 2016 team. I'm absolutely taking the 2016 team. I think that group can stress defenses a little bit more. Um, and, Maybe it's the 2017 team because I want to have DJ Reed out there covering Tyler Lockett. I think that would be a hell of fun matchup to watch. But even so, I, I would certainly take and ride with Jesse Ertz because I felt like he can really, again, stress a defense with his ability to run. But um, I think this is a good point to kind of book in this episode. Uh, just very briefly, a couple of first team all Big 12 selections for K-State. Uh, not surprisingly, Dalton Reiser, again, coaches media first team selection will Geary also as a senior uh, first team all big 12 by both coaches and by media uh, a great run stopper and gap filler for that defensive line in the middle there Reggie Walker second team selection by the coaches DJ Reed the aforementioned DJ Reed first team all big 12 at corner both coaches and media there but um, otherwise a pretty uh lean showing by the Wildcats on the all big 12 roster. Again, just a a lot of uh, it's been stated uh, ad nauseum here. Um, A lot of inconsistency throughout the season, but it it does end up producing again, an entertaining finish as they have been the last several years. K-State puts a bow on it, finishes eight and five with the 37 or excuse me, 35 to 17 victory over UCLA in the cactus bowl. And with that, I think, guys, it is time to call it a night. Again, if you've stuck with us this long, as we always say, thank you very much for the listen. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. As we always say, we're blue chips, so give us that five stars we deserve. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It is college underscore Kimball, and you'll find all of our Twitter handles on that page. So with all that being said, guys, thanks again for listening. Cats, man, if you know, you know.